The Solid 7 Podcast is a proud affiliate of GORUCK. GORUCK designs and builds the toughest gear on the planet, tested and proven at thousands of GORUCK events held all over the world and led by current and former Special Forces combat veterans. The GORUCK brand stands for Building Better Americans, the Special Forces Way of Life, and a life-or-death approach to building the world's toughest gear. Visit Solid7Podcast.com and click on the GORUCK link to learn more about their gear and events, and a portion of every purchase and every event registration you make will go to support us here at the Solid 7 Podcast. and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Solid 7 Podcast, a better than average podcast, if I do say so myself, and I almost always do. I am, of course, your gracious host, Kale, and here with me this week, the one and only Jordan Curley. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, and thank you. So happy to have it happen. I'm I'm happy to say that uh, my regular listeners will know we just made the move to Squadcast recently. I'm always regaling them with tales of... Uh, you know, technological woes. And uh, we we fought with another recording service for a long time, gave up, went to Zoom, which wasn't super happy. And uh, yeah. like two episodes ago, made the switch to uh, Squadcast. Took me like 30 minutes with that guest to finally get thing everything up and squared away. And I don't think I ever said it on here, but then after all that, somehow my audio and the guest's audio were overlapped. Now, it was fine, thanks to my illustrious audio engineer, Arthur Pippock. He made it all work and and things turned out fine. But this was this was buttery smooth. I mean, you just popped right up, and you look good, and you sound good. And I'm like, hey, thanks, Squadcast. Let's go. Awesome. Well, it's also yeah. like you said. You know, you're better off booking the producer than the talent. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, I, 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 I did absolutely say that, and I meant it. Um, so, and, and uh, you know, spoiling the punchline there a little bit, but listeners will know that uh, I had uh, Daniel Harmon and Johnny Vance on a few weeks ago. Uh, so the guy, the team from Tuttle Twins. So Daniel's the the show creator and showrunner. Johnny's does everything else as he tells it. Now, and this is why I'm like, you know what? These guys made. Everything at Tuttle Twins TV sounds so good, so nice, so collaborative. It's all this teamwork and happy-go-lucky. And I'm like, no, 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 we need to get the dirt. We want to go behind the scenes and see. Uh, no, so Jordan is, uh, you're the producer of the Tuttle yeah, Twins TV yep, show. Correct. And um, had a great time with the guys. It was awesome to have them on. But I enjoy, as much as I enjoyed having them on, I enjoyed the booking uh, process, which sounds a little ridiculous, but I'm, uh, you know, it's a, it's a two man show here, me and an audio engineer are. And so for right now I do all the booking and sometimes it's very, very easy. And sometimes it's very, very hard. Um, <laughs> I, I've had a guest in particular that I've worked with for, it's probably been the better part of six months working with, uh, initially connected with them, been working through their assistant have had them booked on the calendar, calendar invites out, studio sessions, you know, booked in the system, the whole shebang, day before or day of. So sorry, we never do this. Uh, something came up. Like, well, you, like the second and third time, you can't really say never, right? Like you can say yeah. never, because I at least twice, at least twice you do this. Um, yeah. And so it just sometimes it's just, you know, people are busy, things are going on, things come up. I, I can't say that I'm not guilty of having done that. Yeah. 
it, it happens. Does it happen three times? I don't know. Is it possible they just don't want to come on the podcast? Yes. Am I going to be tenacious and make them actually say that if that's the case? Yes, I am. Why? Because I'm a brat. <laughs> so, but uh, managed to connect with, I don't even know who I was talking to because it was on Twitter. So I don't know if it was Daniel or Johnny that or some intern somewhere else. So that was our marketing team. Yeah, that you talked okay, to on right Twitter. On. So uh, I'm like, uh, you know, hey, connected with the guys on uh, on a, for the, you know, the site formerly known as Twitter space. Right. And uh, would love to have them on. And they're like, sure, would love to do it. Uh, here, connect with our producer, Jordan. Here's her contact information. And it could not have been smoother. It could not have been easier. It couldn't have been more pleasant. And I'm like, yo, you got to come on the podcast. Not just because I enjoyed interacting with you there, but also because like, I like to enlighten, inform, entertain here on the podcast. And I think it's safe to say that the vast majority of us out here in uh, you know, like non-entertainment uh, land, have any idea what a producer does, especially because if you watch the credits there's uh, of any any production, there's lots and lots of producers, all kinds right. of them. People right. are throwing out producer titles like they're Johnny yeah. Appleseed. And uh, which leads one to wonder, like, did, did somebody just, did you just cut a big check? Was that Was that your deal or are you doing some real work? Like, who's really running this ship? And uh, yeah. I figure who better to come and tell us how it all works than you. There you go. Done. I can tell you if you picked <laughs> any other producer from that producer lineup, um, I don't know that you would have gotten any info. <laughs> <laughs> um, not that you wouldn't have gotten any info, but you picked the right person. Let me just tell you that. Um, when it comes to producers, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's all different kinds. There's, um, I mean, and there's even... There's executive producers, there's line producers, there's creative producers, there's producers, there's, uh, you know, a production team. Um, and so what I'm in charge with, with Tuttle is, um, I call myself the mom. Okay. So I'm the one who, um, you know, works with our accounting team to make sure that budgets are in place. I create the timelines for the episodes with the creative teams, um, make sure that all of the supervisors and coordinators have like all of their game plans in terms of like what needs to get done when, work with the writing team to make sure they get all of their writing things out. And essentially as the producer of the overall show, just the title producer, not any other word associated with it, um, you are in charge of just about everything and making sure that um, the whole production goes according to plan. And uh, it essentially all falls back to you if it doesn't. As right. well. of course. No, of course so, it does. Well, yeah. let's, let's dig into how one finds themselves as the producer of a TV show. But before we do it, there's always podcast business to take care of. We are Always here at the Sound Seven Podcast, fueled by Jocko Go. I believe you received a special delivery sometime this week. There it is. That's the good stuff. Of now, <laughs> you true to form. I'm I'm like because there was this whole fiasco with trying to get a podcast gift to the guys. Yes. Uh, because they're not big on caffeine, so I'm like, I've got the perfect thing. Uh, you know, there's this whole theme with the TV show of finding the golden gummy bear in the episodes. I'm like, I'm going to send some Haribo golden bears. I'm a genius, right? And it was like, because it was being delivered by USPS, just super efficient government agency, right, right. like it couldn't get there. It made for great podcasting because we coined the phrase golden goo bags, which I'm going to hold on to forever. <laughs> um, and so, but I'm, so there was no surprise for you. Normally I'm like, oh, I'd like to send a little gift and Jocko Go just shows up. But now I'm like, you knew the gig was up. 
right? Because uh, you knew that was my normal right. go-to. So I'm like, right. well, hey, what fla- you know it's coming. What flavor do you want? And like, I don't want to cast aspersions on an entire like gender of humanity, but I'm going to say true to form. You were like, oh, whatever you pick. I'm, okay. Oh, cool. Cool. Uh, so I went with like, I love so many of them, but one of my favorites is orange. It's just a childhood flavor for me. It, it tastes yeah. like, like an old school, like a crush or a Fanta, like an orange soda, but it's kind of got those like creamsicle vibes. I'm like, that's, that's what we'll do. That'll be a good place to start. So I have to tell you something. Yes. I haven't even tried one. I got them, um, three days ago, they came in the mail and I've been waiting to at least try it till this interview. So I so haven't doing, even tried it yet. We're doing this cold. Okay. Now tell mm-hmm. me, then let's set the scene a little bit here. Are you like an energy drink drinker? Uh, I used to be when you work okay. in production and animation, sometimes it's just right. inevitable. Okay. Fair enough. So, so you've, you've got kind of a benchmark for like mm-hmm. what these things are. So we love mm-hmm. Jocko Go because it's completely different from those things other than it's a drink okay. in a can, right? So okay. it's only a reasonable amount of caffeine. There's not a ton of like garbage sugar and carbohydrates in it. Um, so the front of your can probably says it's like only 10 or 15 calories. Can't remember what with that flavor. There's yeah, amino, yeah. amino acids in there. There's vitamins in there. There's electrolytes in there. And then... And then it still tastes good. See, see uh, the excitement. The fans can't see it, but the excitement's on your face. So without failure ado, I say we do, uh, you know, a little ASMR here and make this happen. Oh, yeah. You can hear the fizz. I like that. Cheers. Oh, yeah. Cheers. So you've got the Afterburner Orange. I'm going with the Pink Mist, Pink Lemonade here. Ooh, that is really good. You know what it reminds me of? Sorry, I had to take another sip because it's really good. Um, it reminds me of an orange pixie stick. Yes. Yes. So listen, that one's fantastic. There's so many good ones. Uh, you just got to you gotta kind of work your way through the gamut. But if you like um, like green apple Jolly Ranchers, Ooh. the sour green apple Jocko Go is like blind taste test. It's a, it's a green Jolly Rancher. It's so good. So yeah. good. Yes. All right. I've never even heard of Jocko Go before you introduced them to me. So thank you. Have you have you have you heard of Jocko Willink? Like have you heard of uh, like Extreme Ownership or Jocko's podcast or anything like that? No. Oh my goodness! I've just opened up a whole you, a whole new world you really for you. Have. Also, I was telling Daniel off air. We never got into it on the podcast, um, but I think like this great wealth of source material for the show would be the five thousand year leap. Um, but also like, I know Connor's kind of done the Jordan Peterson thing with the 12 rules mm-hmm. boot camp, And I'd love to see some of that, make it into the show, but Jocko Willink's leadership content would be this awesome pool to tap for episodes too. I'm just throwing it out there. If okay, I happen yeah. to be the one, like if I, if I make that connection, if I need to be in the room, like with Jocko, with Connor, with Daniel to make this happen, I'm available. Let me tell you another, let me tell you a secret. Something else that producers do is exactly what we're doing right now, and that is meeting people, making connections, and helping to like just push the show to the next level. So 100%, if you want to make some introductions, I am all for it. If only. That was all I would. I absolutely would if I could. That was all slightly tongue-in-cheek. Uh, Jocko's <laughs> 100% I fangirl over Jocko, 100% a personal hero. And like the subtext for this podcast has always been it's just a ruse to ultimately meet and befriend Jocko. 
So this is just another avenue. Why maybe not? he hears this. Maybe we maybe we put it all together. So yeah, paging Jocko. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Jocko. If you're out there, buddy, somebody listening has to know Jocko. But uh, I actually, I, I'm down to like one degree of separation. We've shared podcast guests. I, I've, there's some people in the same circle, and it's still we're you know we're ships passing in the night right now. But eventually, yeah. it will happen. So um, television producer, I feel like. Not that it's it's like not that there's no draw to that or no mystique to that, but I also don't feel like that's your typical, um, you know, like you're you're doing your kindergarten about me page, and right. you know, little Jordan's right now. I'm like, I want to be a TV producer. So, right. like, uh, what's what's the background? What's your origin story coming to this? Um, <coughs> animation. So uh, when I was writing down that I want to be, it was I want to be an animator. Um, and I want to animate for Disney. Um, and then I, oh, it looks like my network is struggling. It's telling me. So sorry if I'm choppy a little eh, bit. That's fine. Um, so basically it was, it came down to, I had gotten a couple of different jobs. I went to college for media arts and animation, and I had gotten a couple of different jobs coming out of that, um, in different fields. So animation is very, very broad. Everything that you learn in that, yeah. like literally, from TV commercials to architecture to, um, you know, movies and uh, games, um, you know, interactives, all of that fun stuff is all encompassed in animation uh, and the animation um, techniques that you learn. So what I did was out of college, every job that I ever had, I found myself like moving up um, very quickly and moving more away from the art and into more of the artist management. Um, just kind of naturally flowing as I would move up into the artist. So once, once you're an artist um, and then you have, you move into like art director, now you're supervising artists. You're still doing some art, but you're mostly just on the management side, but you are still doing some art. And then you kind of, if you want to remain an artist, that's, that's almost the highest that you can get. Art director show director, movie director, film director. But then once you're just a director, you're not really doing the art side of things anymore. So I wanted to be a producer where I could still work hand in hand with the artists, work with the director, and also have a say in what actually the end result is. Um, and so that really is what a producer is, is you, you move up from wherever you're at and producers start in a variety of different places. You know, you can have a production assistant on a live action who's helping, you know, kind of a gopher. They're helping get coffee. Mm -hmm. They're helping to move, uh, you know, equipment from point A to point B. And then they just stay at that position. And really the key is do as best as you can in the role that you're given and see where there is opportunity to um, kind of take the helm. And I think that that's, that's also just kind of good career advice. Yeah. If you realize that you're complaining about something, um, oh man, I really wish that we had someone doing X, Y, and Z. Well, then why not approach your boss and say, hey, I saw a need for us to be doing X, Y, and Z. I'm going to go ahead and, and do that. And I, I feel confident I could do it on top of my current job. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you just keep moving up. And so that's really what happens with the producer as well. You know, I start off as an artist and then started managing teams and meeting with clients. And then I started working with the sales departments. And then I started being the one to coordinate um, outside hires and, uh, you know, contracts and things like that. And it just kind of naturally flowed into a full producer role. 
Gotcha. Where, where'd you go to school for that? I went to the New England Institute of Art in Boston. Okay. Is that one that's particularly known for animation? No. No. So how, no. how do you, how do you end up in Boston? Uh, well, so I grew up in New York. I grew oh, up in you're, New York one, you're one of and, those. Um, okay. Well, no, we got to yeah, slow down right here because if it was the city proper, we might have to end this interview right now. Okay. So I was about All right. an hour north of Manhattan <sighs> on close. the border of New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Fair. Um, okay. Yeah. So I did at one point in my career live in Brooklyn for, or not Brooklyn, sorry, the Bronx, totally different from Brooklyn. Totally different. Lived, Get your borough straight for the love, Jordan. Come on. <laughs> they will start with bees, you know, uh, Boston, exactly. Brooklyn, Bronx, you know. And none of us outside of New York City know the freaking difference anyway, so you can say whatever you want. Okay, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. So it I'm was like, New York all City. I know is like Daredevil lives in Hell's Kitchen. I know that. That's that's my right. the extent of my specific New York locale knowledge. That and the part with trees is Central Park. Got it. Check. Yeah, the only part with trees. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um and Boston is um I mean, I don't think people realize how close New York and Boston are. Mm-hmm. Uh I mean you could take a bus in four hours from New York to Boston. You could drive it in three and a half. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of people that even like commute and have multiple offices in both locations. Um, so I liked Boston because it was far enough away from everything, but still close enough where I could come home and visit and things like that. Yeah. No, that's um, good. Yeah. So that's why I ended up there. And then after school, I ended up um, getting a job right out of college, stayed there. I was there for about six years and met my husband. Um, and, uh, yeah, the rest was kind of history. I moved down to New York. I worked at a company called Blue Sky Studios, which no longer exists. So we did Ice Age and Peanuts and Ferdinand. And um, that's Dang. actually from Ferdinand right there hanging on my wall. I mean, you, you've worked on some things. Yeah. I mean, but that I'm was imp- all like I'm impressed enough career, with Total Twins. But, but yeah, yeah, no, those, I mean, that's legit. Um, so how specific, well, one, what kind of time frame are we talking about here? Right. Cause there's a, a lot of gray on this side of the camera and none on that side, which could be your producer. That could be movie making magic. I don't know. But <laughs> so, uh, kind of like w- what's the inspiration as you're going through this, like what's big in animation that's kind of driving you at, to this or kind of inspiring you as you're in school. So while I was in, it's actually really funny. So out of high school, I, uh, I wanted to go to school for sound initially for Foley artists. I don't know if you really? know what Foley artist is. Yeah. It's where you're actually like the one making the noises. So, you know, yeah. you're taking the things and like doing like this, you know, into the mic and, and making new sound effects for shows and movies and, and cartoons. Um, and my parents were like, absolutely not. <laughs> they were like, you're not, no, no, that's not where you're going to school for. So I kind of no, was very stubborn. A- I mean, I'm yeah. with your parents, but that's such a cool and unique aspiration. Right. But I got to believe that that's such a tiny cr- group of people doing that at any legitimate level. That's got to be really hard. Like, how much it did you look niche. into that? It's got to be incredibly hard to get into. Yeah. Yeah. It is very it is very niche. And I think that's part of the reason why my parents were like, no. Um, yeah. So like, I you could go to I, school for sound design. Can you, right. can you, can you go to school for Foley? I feel like it's something it would that would almost have to be more apprenticeship. That you took. Yeah, yeah, that's what it would be. It's more classes that you take while you're going for sound design. And then you do more of like an apprenticeship type thing. Um, or if you're just really passionate about it. I mean, that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize 
is that if you're really passionate about things, you don't need to go to school. You can learn everything you need to with all the resources that we have available to us online and, you know, find someone else who's doing what you want to do. Ask them if you can apprentice, you know, even if you're making no money apprenticing, if it's something you really want to do, get a side job to hold you over until you're, you know, you've got yourself to a place where you can make that passion a full-time career. Yeah. Now you're talking like a tuttle. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) We may or may not have an episode coming up about this. Is this, uh, I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to jam you up, uh, you know, we can bleep out any trade secrets here, but I know there's been some conversations with Mike Rowe and I feel like that would dovetail well with Mike. So if we're going to hear his voice in an episode, that would be a good one. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, <laughs> so coy. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's been interesting though. I mean, I was just very stubborn after high school and I said, fine, then I won't go to any college. And I, uh, I mean, I think it's just me. I got a job as a waitress and within a month I was an assistant manager and then I was managing restaurants for, for, for five years until finally I was like, I do not want to manage restaurants anymore. And I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. This is exhausting and draining. Um, the I Europeans, to go to school. yeah, the Europeans call that a gap year. Yeah. It was a gap five oh, so you years. Just, yeah, you just, yeah. You just took a gap half a decade. Yeah. Yeah. So somewhere between, uh, you know, uh, high school and, uh, waiting tables. And now I'm, I'm just picturing the movie waiting, uh, is your five-year experience here and, and people are wearing <laughs> flair and whatnot, but, uh, your, your passion shifts away from Foley. Right. And the thing is that I don't think my passion was ever at Foley, but my parents never wanted me to be an artist because of the whole classic, you know, struggling artist and you'll never have a fulfilling career and it'll just be, you know, you'll struggle your whole life and you'll end up in some other, um, you know, field. So what's the point of wasting money going to school for art? Um, But I think after five years of me kind of being uh, aloof, I mean, I did do some community college. I did community theater. I, uh, for a hot minute thought that I wanted to go to school for musical theater. I did a lot of that, um, at my local community college. At which point um, your parents are like, no, let's do the Foley thing. Never mind. Yeah. We were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, they were like, just, just pick something and just go to school, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's where, that's when I ended up going to school for media arts and animation. And they were kind of like, uh, I don't know about this. But again, I was just, I was very like passionate about it. I got involved in an organization called Seagraph, S-I-G-G-R-A-P-H. And I was the president of the New England chapter for about a year and a half, two years when I was in college, made a lot of great connections, a lot of great networking. And like I said, the path to a producer is not only being able to organize and get people to rally, but also the network that you have, because you're going to have to hire, you're going to have to, um, you know, get in contact with other studios. You're going to have to work with a lot of different people in a lot of different areas. It's not a cubicle job where you just come in, do your task list and go home. Like it's, it's a full 24 seven job yeah. where anyone you meet is a potential to help push things forward, mm-hmm. um, with, with the production. So, yeah. So uh, as you're back in school for this, uh, like I'm just trying to get a feel for, for what going to school for, for animation or graphic design looks like these days. I, I assume you're there at a time frame where everything's, everything's tech, you know, everything's computerized. So like what mm-hmm. percentage of this is working on your technique or does the artistry already have to be there and a lot of the education side is about the tech and implementing the tech? That's a good question. It's a little bit of both. 
So you need a portfolio in order to get into art school. Um, so you have to show that you, um, I mean, have some skills. You're not just coming in and like, I can draw a stick figure. I want to make this into a career. Um, so, you know, you have to have, you have to show that you have good sense of perspective and some life drawing. Now it doesn't have to be perfect. They'll help you, yeah. they'll help you hone in and refine that through, through college. Um, but you have to at least have that head start. Um, and then, you know, you send in a portfolio, you may or may not get in based on how strong or weak that portfolio is. Um, and then once you get in, you do take some initial classes that are all pen and paper where you are, you know, you have, uh, models, you're doing life drawing, you have, um, perspective drawing classes, you even have acting classes because as an animator, you have to be a good actor. So I had a head start there with, you know, me, me wanting to pursue, um, uh, musical theater when I was in community college. So, I mean, it's, I don't think people realize how many different skill sets you need, um, or can be utilized in an animation company and when developing animation, because then it also comes, becomes very technical. You have technical artists who are not drawing anything. They are literally creating algorithms and manipulating um, numbers in order to get things to look good. You know, um, there are riggers. Which, if for those of you who don't know what rigging is, think of this is kind of well. I guess here's the easiest way to think of it: think of a puppet, but with no hand in it. A puppet is just—I mean, it's just cloth laying on the ground, right? You need someone to come in and put their hand in it in order to give that puppet structure and then move their hand around to give that puppet life. Yeah. Um, a rigger does that in a, in a digital sense. They have a puppet, quote unquote, of uh, a 3D character that a modeler has created. So the modeler is like how you sculpt things with clay, but they sculpt that in the computer. Uh-huh. Um, the concept of what that person was sculpting was created by a concept artist or a character artist. So those are the people who have pen to paper who are doing the actual drawing. So then once you get through the concept, you get through the modeling, then it goes to rigging. um, And rigging is putting in the bones and allowing uh, it to be able to be animated. Now, once the bones are in, then you have to say, okay, where does the muscle affect the the skin? How are things going to move when this thing moves, et cetera? Um, and then it goes to the animator. Now the animator takes this puppet that has already been through, you know, half a dozen plus people, um, and they're able to actually execute the animation based on storyboards that are created by the storyboard artists. And the storyboard artists are also people that are pen to paper, but, or in this case, it's digital. It's called a Wacom. You draw right on the screen. It's called a Wacom tablet. Um, And they're the ones who tell the animator, working in hand-in-hand with the director, working hand-in-hand with the writers, um, and working hand-in-hand with the concept artists, tell the animator what that scene is going to look like. So the animator doesn't have to do anything except follow the direction that they already have. So, you know, when I was over at Blue Sky, uh, I believe they had a staff of over 500 people five, 600 people. And it takes years to get one movie off the ground. And I don't think people realize the amount of work. I mean, our episodes at Tuttle, while we are what's called a 2D um, animation, uh, where we're not sculpting things in 3D, but rather we're drawing them in 2D. And then our rigor is 
rigging the 2D as opposed to the 3D. Yeah. Um, from end to end, we're looking at roughly around, you know, math. Now I have math. Half a year, about thir- a little more than than six months, about six, seven months to create one 22-minute episode. Gosh. And that's running through, you know, upwards of uh, 50 different animators, uh, you know, six storyboard artists, directors, editors, voiceover artists. And so it takes a lot of people just to get one of these things off the ground. And I think when you have um, someone who approaches you and says like, well, can't AI do that? That's when you're like, yeah, but they do a really bad job and we'd end up having to fix everything that AI does anyway. Yeah. So it actually takes us less time to just have more control and do it ourselves from the beginning. Yeah, no, it's it's a process that's always been so impressive to me. Even, you know, uh, my kids now, my, my daughter just turned four, my son's about to turn six. I watch a lot of animated yeah. content, uh, more than I want to. And I've got strong feelings about each and every studio. Uh, and I'm willing to give all of those hot takes. Parents, if you're bored out of your mind and you want to actually enjoy uh, what you're watching, um, other than the obvious Tuttle Twins TV, dude, DreamWorks can't freaking miss. The DreamWorks shows are fantastic. But I digress. But it's, you know, the the more you watch it, so it's like I've seen it 20 times. So something else has to grab my attention other than the story. And it's the, and I I talked about this some when the guys were on, just the the process that breaks my brain a little bit, not being a creative, is it, it just has always seemed like it would be harder to me to do things like blocking and camera placement in, because you're in animation versus live action, because you're having to do all the work. You can tell this gaggle of actors stand here, do this thing, and they're handling the motions and the facial expressions and nobody has to animate their lip flaps. And like there's, that's all just happening where on the animation side, you've got to think through all of that and thinking about the way the camera moves through a scene, but then somebody's drawing that out. It's not a camera guy. You're not telling the camera guy move from here to here and make sure you don't get that camera guy in your shot. Uh, it, it's just that that process is all so mind-boggling to me, and even the the back end of it. Um, we we had a guest, a friend of mine, on. I can't even remember how many episodes ago right now, uh, but a voice actress and pretty prolific. Her name's uh, Jeannie. Now she would say it with like the Spanish accent. I don't have that, so I'm just going to say Jeannie Torado. And Jeannie's done a ton of big. Uh, video game work, anime work. She's got a Pixar credit in Soul, uh, and she's really accomplished, really talented. But she gets into, you know, because she's doing the the video game side and all that. So then she's got the motion capture and all that mm-hmm. playing into it uh, as well. And but even then, so you get a little bit of a cheat there with the with the mocap and in what you guys are doing with the two D. I can't imagine there's a whole lot of motion capture going on with with Total there, Twins. I mean, or, we don't use it. You could do mocap <laughs> with two D, but it just it's it's like technology for animation comes out, and the stuff that is like let's run forward as quickly as we can to get to an end product. That's the stuff that doesn't really do an animation studio any good. What yeah. does them good is the let's let's develop tools to make um, you know the rigging process easier. Let's develop tools to make the rendering process easier, to make it easier, you know, to light a scene and get a good look out of it. Like um, it's it's strategic shortcuts as opposed yeah. from let's get from step one to the end. It's like okay, but that kind of looks crappy, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know. Right. Um, so where's we? Yeah, I got into it some with 
I, I had never thought about this until having her on the podcast. So I'm interested kind of which way you guys approach this, but uh, with the voice actors in that work, are you guys going in and animating and matching lip flap after like with the vocals or they having to match when they're recording their vocals? No. Yeah, definitely after the vocals, especially because, um, with, with, uh, a lot of our main characters too, we give them the ability to improv. So we'll say like, okay, this is the script, but if you have any ideas on how to punch this up or make it funnier, um, you know, we have, uh, our lead who plays grandma is, is a comedian and an actor. So he's got plenty of experience making, you know, things funnier. So we just like, let to just let him fly. Um, and a lot of our other actors as well, you know, um, I don't know if you're familiar at all with Alex Elkin who plays Derek. Um, but he plays Derek and he plays a lot of our other characters as well. If you pay attention to the credits, he's, Mm -hmm. he's quite a few characters and he does a great job at improving and doing different voices and, um, just coming up with ways to really punch up scenes. And so if we tied them down to, nope, the lip sync is already done. That's what you're stuck with. Then we would kind of do ourselves a disservice. Yeah. Yeah, for Um, sure. The only time that that's ever happened is if we, so, uh, we had JP Sears on, uh, in, in season one and he was, uh, on our flat earth episode. If you don't know about it, you got to watch it. It's a uh, disagree. Doesn't mean enemy. Yes. Um, it's a really fun episode. Um, and he was not originally cast. We had originally cast another voice actor and we finished the animation and then we got a hold of JP and we were like, oh, we need your voice. Yes. So we had to get on the line with JP. And unfortunately, it was a case where we were like, you just got to say it as it is. And we already got the animation done. So um, in that case, yeah, it was just rinse and repeat what yeah. we already had, which he's he's a great comedian. I wish we had the freedom. We had brought him in earlier and we had gotten a, a hold of him earlier so that we could allow him to improv a little bit more because he's great. Yeah. Now with, you know, famously, if you watch the, uh, behind the scenes on like, you know, I grew up, uh, actually watching Disney movies on VHS, if I can date myself a little bit. Nice. So it wasn't quite as easy to uh, get to the extras back in the day. Um, but you know, uh, Disney studios are very well known for, oh, we're going to do Lion King. So we're going to the zoo. We're going to observe these animals right. and their movement. So, um, can you confirm or deny that, that raccoons have been brought into the studio for the animators, uh, specifically for the purpose of making Derek more lifelike. So no raccoons, but we did send all of our writers to North Korea, um, for, for that episode, That's you know, fair. just really, yeah. they just got to dive in, you know? Yeah. You got to be in uh, it to, to experience yeah. it. Yeah. So, and, uh, they may or may not have brought back some North Korean raccoons for us. So, okay. There may be some war crimes involved there. I'm not sure. Uh, we'll, we'll, ch- we'll check with legal. <laughs> but, uh, so no, we did I, not send anybody to North Korea, uh, just communist China. <laughs> Jeez. Well, the nice thing is you can always use substitutions. Like you can just, you know, like you've done, uh, there's been some settings in Cuba. You just go to Miami. There's been, um, there some settings in North Korea. You just go hit California. Like we've got options here in yeah. the States where you can just substitute it's the beauty of the United States. You know, we've got the plethora of everything across yeah, the board. All the landscapes, all, yeah, we've had it all. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> so is, did you have like a, a specialty or a medium you preferred, like going into school and coming out of this? Or it's, it's like, do you have your own kind of style that you like when you're, when you're actually drawing yourself? Ooh. Okay. So I grew up 
like WB Saturday afternoon cartoons, right? Like Darkwing Duck and Goof Troop and Mm -hmm. all that fun. Like that is my style. I have very much a 90s cartoon style um, because that's what I grew up with. And that actually is is one of the influences that we use for Tuttle as well. Um, Daniel always wanted it to be because if you look at a lot of modern animation, um, they're, they look kind of like puppets, like their, their limbs are kind of moving around a little floppy. It's not quite as fluid as if you remember, you know, going to see, um, you know, goof troop or something. Um, and Daniel always wanted to make sure that we had a good balance of modern animation. And then that classic, you know, WB after school, um, animation that we saw in the nineties. Um, and a lot of that is due to, what I, I affectionately call the holy trinity of production and uh, time, money, and quality. Yes. And uh, the three of them don't like to work together because <laughs> you can only pick two. Yep. Um, and a lot of studios pick time and they just throw money at it and their quality uh, uh, suffers. So they want a really short time frame. They'll pay you a good chunk of change for it but the quality suffers. Yeah. Um, and so we really wanted to reach as much as we could a balance between the three of them. Um, and I think we're doing it so far. Yeah. So good. So yeah, for sure. Well, it's funny. You know, I, I talked some with the guys about kind of the influences because there are, you know, various vibes you can recognize And one that didn't click for me until you said it just now, but there are such strong animaniacs vibes in Tuttle twins. Yeah. Like they could be, you know, maybe not siblings, but certainly distant cousins. Like it's just, there's just so many layers to the comedy where it's like, you know, the, the preteen, my six-year-old, me, everybody's sitting there laughing and, but we're all laughing at something different. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I actually just and- tried to, <laughs> my wife was trying to get my, my daughter to nap. This was yesterday. Um, and I don't know what got put this idea in my head, but she was asking to watch. I don't even remember what I'm like, well, can I, can you, can I show you a show data used to love? She's like, sure. So I pull up rescue Rangers. Nice. And she's like vibing to it, you know, whatever I leave, I go to do other stuff. I come back and it has changed to whatever show she wanted, but she's like, Dada, I really liked your show. But my wife told me as soon as I left the room, she goes, can we switch it? <laughs> so really? I guess, Aww. yeah, I guess, I guess it doesn't translate Aww. to these Aww. kids. Unbelievable. You gotta get her to watch Rugrats. Yes. See, I was never, I like, I came, I was just a little beyond Rugrats. Yeah. I came in too late for Rugrats. But definitely all the, you know, the Darkwing, the Rescue Rangers, Tailspin, tail, mm-hmm. which, you know, we were talking some off air. Uh, you know, there's this great history of, um, or tradition of these excellent theme songs for cartoon shows. Um, The Simpsons, 100% so iconic, right? All of those old like WB Disney shows that were were not, you know, before Disney pulled in all of their own content, it wasn't all Disney Channel. Uh, You know, all the goofy shows, all of those. But like I could sit and sing sing the theme song to Tailspin right now, word for word, I could do it. Um, Darkwing Duck, I could do it. DuckTales, I could do it. Um, (laughs) And like, Tuttle Twins, the theme song is so freaking yeah. good. We have debated whether or not we should have lyrics to it. Um, 
Yeah. It's a bop, man. It sticks in your head so much. It does. You know, what's so funny is that actually we have a lot of really good songs in the show, but, um, and Johnny, who you interviewed, uh, he is musically inclined. He's actually written, um, and even been the one to do the, the instrumentals for a number of our songs. He did not for our theme song, our theme song. We actually had several different composers that we were working with. We had about two, three composers that we had given, uh, you know, kick them off, given what type of vibes we want, given our inspiration music and then gotten back iterations and given notes. And, you know, we're paying them this whole time. Obviously we're not like asking them to do this for nothing, but we just weren't getting it. It just wasn't quite hitting what we wanted. We wanted for it. Um, and someone reached out to us and he said, Hey guys, saw what you're doing with the Tuttle twins. I'd love to be a part. Um, I want to make you a, a, a theme song for free. And he got it to us on the first, literally the first go around. We were like, yes, yes. Like, and we didn't give him, we didn't give him direction. We didn't yeah. give him like, he was just like, I, you know, this is something that I think would be fun to do. And if you guys want to use it, cool. If you don't want to use it, cool. But here you go. And we were like, how did he, yeah. <laughs> and there's no, like, there's no, but there's no content for him to work off of at that point. Like he's just no, seeing the, no sto- the storyboards and the early stuff, right? Yeah, there was, that was it. It was just kind of the, if you saw the original um, pitch that we had on Angel's uh, website, uh-huh. that's, that's it. It was just an animatic. Unreal. Yeah. yeah nailed it. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Don't be giving stuff away for free, dude. Come on. But <laughs> well, we 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 ended up giving him money for it because we were like, yeah, like this is too good to not pay for it. And then we ended up he's actually been um our composer for seasons 1 and 2. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm like, tell yeah. me you at least send him like a Derek plushie or something. So, no, it's it's good to know <laughs> we that We didn't even have been... Derek plushies yet, man. We had like nothing. Dude, Derek plushies, that's where it's at. That's uh, it's going to be the hot Christmas item this year. Funny story about Derek plushies. I sent my sister who has two little boys. I sent, um, for Christmas last year, I sent them plushies and my mom calls me. My mom says, did you know that you sent your sister three plushies? And I said, yeah, I know. Because if the boys had plushies and she didn't have one, I would have gotten a call from her complaining. Yeah, No, that's, that's real. That's how it's gotta be these days. So, so out of school, like how'd you end up with that first job? Was it just a job fair? Were they recruiting at the school? Because I mean, no, you, that, so, you landed a legit job. It's not like you were, you know, animating commercials for the general selling insurance, you know? Well, even that's a legit job. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so I was, uh, like I said, I was the president of that organization for the New England chapter, Seagraph, um, Special Interest Group in Graphics. They have annual conferences um, that pull in anywhere from like 20 to 30,000 people annually at their conferences. They're huge. I was volunteering at those conferences as a student volunteer, but then as, uh, as the leader of the new England chapter, I was hosting monthly get togethers. Um, so when I first took over the chapter, there was a whopping 15 people that were attending. Now there were other user groups and other networks that were happening in the Boston area. So I just went to every other type of meetup that I could in the animation industry um, and I would meet people and I'd ask them if they wanted to be a guest speaker at our next event. 
by the time I left, we had, I think our last event was about 115 people at our last event that I had there. Um, and, uh, through that, I obviously have networked a whole bunch and met a whole mm-hmm. bunch. This is why I always stress people, network, network, network. Like, I don't care what industry you're in, get to know other people. Um, yeah. Whether it's just to make a new friend, someone who you can like lean on to kind of complain about work, or whether it's someone who in the future might allow an opportunity to come your way. Mm-hmm. Um, but through that, um, one of the guys that, that I had met, he said, hey, we have some internship um, opportunities opening up. Do you want to interview? Uh, you know, I've known you for X, X amount of time now. And, um, I interviewed, it came down to me and one other candidate. Ultimately I got the internship less than a year later. I, um, was offered, uh, a full-time job there. Um, and then I was like doing project management and meeting with, um, clients. Uh, and so that was all in architecture. I was doing architectural visualization. So 3D renderings, 3D images of buildings that do not exist um, so that architects can sell the space to developers, so that architects can get, um, you know, developers can get people to lease the space, et cetera. Um, And it's, I mean, it's everything that, like I said, animation is huge. So that was, that was my first job in animation. Um, And then after that, I decided, you know what, I really... I got into, I went into college because I wanted to get into content. I wanted to get into TV and and film for kids. Specifically, I really want to do TV for children. Like I've always, like that's what I, what I really wanted to to do when I was in college. And, um, I told, this is something, don't do this. I thought I was being nice. I went to my boss's office, knocked on his door and we had a, we had a great, like, like relationship. Um, and I said, Hey, because of our great relationship, I thought this was appropriate. I said, Hey, I just want to let you know that I'm looking for other jobs. Uh, and I just like, I don't want to blindside you. If like I find something suddenly and then, you know, it's, um, it like I, I end up moving. So I wanted to give you the heads up. Yeah. And we talked a little bit and he was like, okay, you know, for the next month, like every day it was, did you find a job yet? Did you find a job yet? Did you find a job yet? (laughs) And I was like, "Ah, ah, chill. (laughs) Um, So I was still in Boston and I was talking to um, a company down in New York, big company, big VFX house. They did a lot of, now they were not film. They were not TV. They did commercial work, Um, but huge, big and highly respected in the, in the industry. And I went down for an in-person interview. So from Boston to New York, did an in-person interview. They loved it. He said, hey, uh, would you move to New York? I said, yes. He said, okay, contact me once you move down here and we'll set up a start date. So I went back up to Boston, packed up my things, moved down to New York, uh, called and was all ready to be like, all right, guys, let's like start. And they didn't pick up. They didn't get back to me. They didn't for a long time. I ended up getting a job in Manhattan at an ice cream shop um, where, again, I was asked to be manager at least six times in the, like, three months that I worked there. And I denied them because I was like, no, that's not what I want to do. Like, I'm trying to get another job in the industry for animation. And um, finally, I called them one day. And this is after probably a month and a half of me calling them. And uh, the guy picked up. And I think he just picked up just, like, out of not looking at caller ID or something. I don't know. Right. And I said, Hey, like, you know, I'm all in New York, ready to start. Let me know. He goes, I told you we'd call you. And he hung up. 
Dang. And I was like, all right, so I guess this isn't happening. What am I going to do now? So I let everyone that I knew, hey, guys, I'm looking for a job. I'm looking for something. Um, Blue Sky, which is right on the border of New York and Connecticut. Um, A lot of people who work at Blue Sky were living in New York. I was living in New York, only like a half hour away from the studio in Connecticut. Um, I had a friend who I had met in Boston through Seagraph, through another friend um, who was working or used to work at Blue Sky. And so I said, hey, Pete, you know, I'm looking to to, um, apply for a job. And he was like, oh, I will recommend you. He was like, hands down. And he recommended me. I did, I think, a phone interview and I think two in-person interviews, got the job, and uh, it was all in production. I wasn't doing any art whatsoever. Really? Yeah. So I actually, I've done public speaking. And when I tell like kind of my story of my career, I uh, kind of call it the, the story of failures, right? So from, yes, I got a job right out of college, but it was in architecture. It was not in TV and film like I wanted. So I was a failure. Um, I, you know, moved out of there for this job that I thought would at least be a step forward into TV and film, um, with, with commercial work. And they never got back to me. I was a failure. I got a job at a big movie studio that is creating awesome film, but it's not an art job. So I'm a failure. Um, and how like, it's so easy to see these things in a totally different light when you are in the moment, but then to look back and realize all the stepping stones that you had to get to where you're at and realizing that those were by no means failures. Those were all like just different opportunities. And yes, it wasn't part of my game plan, but how often do things actually go according to your game plan, you know? Um, And you just have to keep grasping at every opportunity that comes your way. Because like I said, in the beginning, if you have that passion and you have that drive, like you'll get to ultimately where you want to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, uh, after blue sky, I had a friend who was, um, who had a company and his company was just bought by a much larger firm and they were doing experiential marketing and experiential marketing, uh, is animation, but it's also AR and VR and touchscreen applications and large format LED content and holograms um, and just a projection mapping. Um, so I saw this opportunity to just kind of nerd out and like yeah. do so many cool things. So I worked for that company for five years, um, ended up moving to Maine for that job. And then uh, they had another office, they had offices all around the world, still do. Um, I moved to California and that's where I started working more with their like sales team and their sales department. And then COVID hit. And by the time COVID hit, my job was, my job title was, um, digital business development director. So what happens when all physical experiential marketing goes away, everything becomes digital. Yeah. So my workload just went through the roof and I realized that this while maybe I really love doing it, I love the people that I worked with. It ultimately still was not where I wanted to be and what I wanted to be doing. Um, and from a friend that I had worked with at Blue Sky, he had ended up uh, uh, leaving and moving back home to Utah. And he met, um, uh, he's a storyboard artist. He had uh, connections and found out that Tuttle Twins was looking for a producer. 
And he called me and he said, are you looking for a job? Because I don't know anyone else that would be any better. Like you are amazing. I would, I think you do a great job at this. And I was, and I wasn't looking for a job. So I was like, yeah, let's do this. I interviewed with uh, Daniel and Johnny and they were like, Hey, you know what? This sounds great. We're going to give you, um, you know, uh, uh, I think it was 60 days kind of trial period. Let's see how this goes. So I was still working my other job and I was working Tuttle, uh, remotely. And after about two weeks, I get a call from Daniel and he was like, yeah, you have to quit your other job. We need you full time. You're great. Let's do this. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's do this. <laughs> so how far along in, well, I want to back up some. So at any point through all these stages post-school, were you actually paying the bills animating? Um, never. If you were to just say animating, never, but in the animation industry, yes. So let me tell you when my husband and I, uh, before we got married, we had to do budgets. Uh, we had a, a marriage counselor that we worked with before we actually tied the knot. And one of the things that they had you do was budgets. So they had us write down all of our expenses, you know, everything you do to make a budget, yeah. write down your expenses, write down your income, et cetera. And we bring it to the marriage, uh, counselor and he looks at it and he goes, how do you eat? <laughs> and my response was, uh-huh, exactly. And he goes, no, but for real, like, how are you alive? Like, how are you w- making this much? And like, how are you living right now? Um, it was a lot of credit card debt along with, um, luckily my husband was working in the kitchen and he was doing prep work and he would maybe over prep on some things and it then happens. bring home leftovers. <laughs> it happens all the time. And that's how we lived. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, when they see kind of where I'm at now, or they see, you know, where anyone's at in their career, they look at social media, they see other people who are successful. They assume they've always been that successful. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's even people who you probably know right now who you think are very successful, who are barely living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, yeah. And you never know who's, who's financing their social media presence on their credit cards. Yeah. 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 It's very easy to put up a front. Yeah, for Um, sure. But then you have the whole fake it till you make it, right? Yeah. Like that's what they always tell people, fake it till you make it. I don't think that's necessarily fake it till you make it in terms of like, let people think that you're super successful until you are super successful. Because if you don't actually tell people that you need help, if I had never reached out to my network and said like, Hey guys, I need a job. Hey, can you recommend me? Is there anything that like, if, if people didn't know that I needed help, then I would have never gotten help. Yeah. Well, and what's funny, it's interesting to see now, right? So much of of media, so much of entertainment has changed just, you know, around being digital, around streaming, but then, Mm -hmm. you know, so much of, you know, YouTube is this legit presence and now X and the way that, that they're pushing, uh, you know, uh, fresh content over there and focusing on video and stuff. Now there's, it's just all these new players and all this different stuff. And it's created so much room for, for so long, particularly around social media. It was about the influencer. It was about the flash. It was, you know, it was a fire festival scaled down, right? Like it's, right, it's right. All, there's no, there's no substance behind it. <clears throat> Excuse me. But so now what you see is like, yeah, you have these maybe uber successful people like Andrew Tate comes to mind, right? Like here's just this, gross, over-exaggerated caricature of a persona 
built just to cash in on that. Look how successful I am. Do what I'm doing and you can too. Never mind that you'll be miserable if you can never <laughs> even pull it off. But then the flip side is the complete opposite side is monetized at this point. Like you can have Andrew Tate, you can have the fake, you can have the flash, you can have the filters, and then you can have Elise Myers. Like here's everything raw, unfiltered, no makeup, no hair done. Like this is just life and I'm a little bit neurotic and I'm, you know, a little bit whatever. And, and that blow up too. So it's like, there's just as much, and if not, I feel like maybe the market turning some, looking for kind of that that realism, and yeah. starting to look for people. No, I can actually identify in, and I'm I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. Um, you know, it's forget the foodie pictures. Other people burned dinner tonight. Right. Um, you know, right. other people are eating ramen tonight. Um, you know, and so it's just it's been interesting to see kind of that rise up on that opposite side, where you know, even seeing the move away from smartphones, like. Jen, what generation are we on now? Is it Z? I don't know, but they're like Zed. ditching. I think it's called Zed. I refuse. This is America for the love. <laughs> uh, but they're like they're moving away from. I don't think in large numbers, but enough to get some articles written about it. Like they're going to like dumb phones and flip phones, right? Just to like get back in the real world and have a conversation with somebody. Right. Well, I mean, that's why I think too, like. Um, you've seen a, you've seen a good rise. I mean, especially during the pandemic of board games Yeah, and board games are huge right now. That industry is still blowing up mm -hmm. because people want that relationship. People want that, you know, friendship that coming over to your house that, you know, sharing a bowl of popcorn or a pizza while we sit down and play this game together and just have a good time and laugh. Um, I mean, I think that there's so many, ways that we can get back to that human connection because, you know, it's the same thing. All right. So I was talking about in animation before how a lot of these, like, oh, these high-tech AI solutions, we're going to get you from point A to finished product in one step. Well, that's not what people want for their lives. People don't want a way to increase the technology presence in their life so that they aren't interacting. I mean, maybe there are some, there are some people, I won't pretend like everybody, there are some people who would happily be locked away in a room all by themselves for the rest of their lives mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, on technology. But I think the greater majority of people are realizing that technology is hindering more than it's helping. Not that it's completely bad. You know, there's still great things technology does. There's still fantastic advances in, in medicine and fantastic advances in, you know, transportation and things that are, that are really helping us and helping us be more connected. Yeah. Um, but it's still all about that physical presence and that physical yeah. relationship that we need. And that's, I mean, that's, again, I wasn't going to online networking events when I was in, in, in college. I still am not a fan of online events period. And I used to manage and, and produce them yeah. and I don't like them. Um, I like going, I like meeting. I like that line, that, that conversation that happens in line, getting coffee. I like that, you know, organic, uh, connection that you have with someone when you just sit down in a random theater, listening to the same presentation and you start up a conversation yeah. with the person next to you while you're waiting for it to start. Right. Well, and that's where I, I've liked some of this move towards and the way Tuttle Twins is doing this right now is is unique even in this space is part of what has turned me off about streaming is I missed the shared experience, right? Mm -hmm. It was there's it was this magical period in life in the early 2000s where, uh, you know, I'm young, unmarried, so it's like your friends or your family during that time, and the office was just the biggest thing going. 
And everybody yeah. where I worked was into it. And it was, you got together to watch it. But even if you didn't, everybody was watching. Because if you didn't, you couldn't talk to anybody the next day. Because right. that's all right. anybody was talking about. Right. And now maybe you get that around a big enough sporting event. Maybe you get that around like the Olympics or something. But around television, we've lost that. I mean, you think about these just massive cultural experiences around like how long was it that the mash finale held the record for concurrent viewership, right? It was insane. And so, but streaming just broke so much of that, right? Like we want it all, we want it right now. And I'm going to binge all weekend, but now and and Disney's done some good in this. Uh, I'm, I'm usually loathe to give Disney any praise, but I like that they've serialized their shows. Like I just caught up on Ahsoka this morning with my uh, headache rocking in the background. And, uh, but so, and it's restored some of that where if something big enough is going on, it becomes, uh, who was it? Uh, who did appointment television or whatever they all, you know, all the, the big three all had their, their taglines, but it becomes like, no, that drops and we're going to watch. And same thing, like yeah. the, the episode releases for Tuttle twins at this point, like that's an event in our house. Like we know that Tuesday, the kids know it's coming. You know, there's buzz about it in the house and we're going to sit and watch. My kids are glued looking for the golden gummy bear. I mean, just glued. They were, they were very upset. We did not find the golden gummy bear in this most recent episode. It's still a sore spot no? here <gasps> in the Matthews household. We didn't do it. Didn't pull it off. Aww. Yeah, they they were distraught. Still enjoyed the episode. <laughs> so, and, yeah, there, and, and yeah. that's that's what we wanted. That was the whole yeah. point of, you know, and, and at first when we first started releasing the episodes, we weren't having it like on a consistent, predictable enough day for our audience. And so now we have Tuttle Tuesday. Yeah. A, it has a nice, you know, ring to it, but B, it can, it, it can be more expected. Um, that's the first Tuesday of every month, Tuttle Tuesday, you know, um, kids can expect it. Parents can plan around it. Um, and we've seen that, uh, from the 24 hours of airing on Tuttle Tuesday to, you know, the same time, um, on Wednesday, that's a huge spike. Yeah. that we get. Um, and I think you're absolutely right that companies in general, um, I mean, what was it? The stupid, like love is blind reunion, I think, or whatever on Netflix a couple months ago <laughs> where they did it live on Netflix. Yeah. It was like Netflix was doing an experiment first ever, like live thing on it. They broke their own servers yeah. because everyone wanted to tune in live. Yes. Like there's still a want for that. Well, things um, like that are always yeah. so funny to me too. Like we see this culturally now where people want credit for discovering these things that are, it's just the way we used to do things. Yeah. So yeah. like I was reading an article this past week about, we, we cover a lot of space here on the podcast and we're, we're big rocket nerds. And um, so the uh, European Space Agency, they have this new ship because they launched their signature rocket, the Ariane, which is way behind schedule, which what's new in rocket rocketry, but they launch it from French Guiana. So they've got to transport this stuff over there. So I have this new ship for transporting this rocket and it has these big solid they're they're sails i mean they're not cloth sails but it's they invented a sailboat is what they they did and they're like oh look we've got this new <laughs> like guys we we had that one down a while ago like we we yeah. had that one licked and uh, but but you see that um you know and so it's yeah this return to the old ways you're like oh wait like not everything that was done before we were born was backwards and wrong. It, it turns right. out people had figured some things out before we entered the scene. Right. It turns out that mom and dad had it right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and we're sitting there going, no, grandma and grandpa, they couldn't have been right. We got to invent a way that, no, there's no way. Yeah. 
They drove a car with four wheels. I'm going to make a car with three wheels. How many of those stupid three-wheel cars do you see? I mean, they're fun, but come on. They're very impractical. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's also almost always a very particular type of human being driving those. Yeah. Like there may or may not be like Ed Hardy clothing involved. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just, <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing. So, so you, you get connected with Daniel and Johnny. Um, you're heading mm-hmm. to Utah. What, how far along are they in production at this point? Like how not far along in development all. is the show? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Without giving you the name. When I came in, they had a relationship with an animation studio. That was not great. Um, they, uh, in the six months that that studio was contracted, they got us about a minute and a half of animation. Now, to give you a better, like, what does that mean? In uh, 10 weeks, we can do an entire episode now, just for the animation, not for the art and the design and all that stuff. Right. But the animation portion we can do in 10 weeks, where they were in six months, got us a minute and a half. And so like this, and they were not in the U S and the hours were absurd. We would have to have super late night meetings. And, um, we were just giving a lot of the direction, same direction over and over again. And I said to the guys, I said, you know, this is not normal. Like, this is not how this should run. Um, so I ended up, um, uh, through some connections that I had meeting with different animation houses. And at the time, just the timeline we were looking at and fall is traditionally, um, very busy for, um, for animation studios. I ended up meeting with about a dozen and a half different animation studios, a lot of interest, but a lot of, we can't do it now. And we were like, well, we need someone who's interested and can do it now. Um, because full disclosure, I mean, when you have a a cartoon show that's, uh, based on libertarianism, not every studio you contact is going to want to work on the show. Yeah. I mean, that Um, was was going to be the obvious follow on question for me, like kind of what, what drives, um, looking at at animators outside of the States is, is it cost? Is it ideology? You know, it's cost because you don't know people's ideology. You know, yeah. I don't know the ideology of a company unless they're like straight up stating it on their about me page, which they're not going to. Yeah. Oh, um, some of them have been, it's not working out great, but some of them. Yeah. Yeah. But I, uh, so, I mean, it's, it's a matter of meeting with them, telling them about the show, telling them that they should watch our, our pilot animatic. Cause I mean, our pilot animatic is all about what the whole show is about. It's completely all about the, the right to life, liberty and property um, and about government and about taxes and about, you know, um, everything to do with the law. It's, it's yeah. based on, um, you know, Frederick Bastier's uh, book, The Law. So if they don't like that first episode, they're not going to like any of the episodes coming after it. That ain't no lie. <laughs> so, so I always told them, like, watch the animatic. And, you know, obviously we had people bow out. Um, but then we had a lot of people who were still like, yeah, nope, this is great. Love it. Let's do it. Um, and ultimately, we ended up with an animation house down in Columbia that has done season one and two for us. And they've been absolutely great. They love the show. We actually just released this show in both Spanish and Portuguese as well. Um, and we're seeing a very big influx of Latin America viewership. That's awesome. Um, yeah, because, I mean, I think we're hitting on a lot of topics that that they're currently experiencing, yeah. you know? Um 
not only inflation, but then a lot of, you know, the fear of extreme socialism leading to communism, um, uh, you know, dictatorships, um, that kind of a thing. So uh, I think they really appreciate what it is that we're doing. And we even were working with a company in Ukraine who loved what we were doing. Uh, and he said, you know, I, he said, I want this to be big in Ukraine. He said, I yeah. wish that you guys had a Ukrainian and Russian translation, because I think this is exactly what we need here. Yeah. Um, well, I hear the president there used to be an actor, so maybe he could do some, some overdub on that. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> I don't know if Zelensky's got free time right now, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah. No, it's, it's yeah. been cool to see. And you look at the movement already that we're seeing in Central and South America, like with the moves even towards Bitcoin and yeah. just the, the boon that, that that is to, um, you know, we, we had um, a, a great guest come on uh, specifically discussing Bitcoin with us, Brian DeMint, um, author of Bitcoin nice. Evangelism. And, and one thing that, that Brian hits on so well is uh, people don't understand how, how what, great, what a great resource Bitcoin is for the unbanked. Like when you live in a first world country and that's the bulk of your experience, you don't understand most people don't have a bank account. They don't have the access to the ATM and the idea that, but everybody everywhere has smartphones. And the mm -hmm. fact that you can instantly, you know, have a wallet or be your own bank and be transacting in this thing. Set aside, you know, there's plenty of debates to be had around Bitcoin and broader crypto, but there, there's a lot of boons to it. And, and, you know, you look, is it Argentina now where the front runner for the presidency down there is, is you know, really, really bullish on, yeah. on Bitcoin. And so seeing these kind of concepts in those places, like how much do the people of Venezuela need the messages. I mean, the adults, forget the kids, right. need the messages right. that you guys are putting into Tuttle Twins TV. And that's the point is that, is that the messages that we have are great for kids, entertaining for kids, but really, you know, we're talking to the adults in that family. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, we even had someone contact us. He has a podcast in El Salvador on Bitcoin. Um, and he, he wanted to talk about our, our Bitcoin episode. If you have not seen it, season two, episode three episode on Bitcoin, if you don't know what Bitcoin is, it's a great way to learn very quickly, um, uh, you know, high level, what Bitcoin is and about blockchain. Yeah. Um, and we were the first kids show to ever talk about Bitcoin, which is yeah. weird. Yeah. Like it's been around for how long? And we were the first show to ever educate children or kids, even adults about Bitcoin. Yeah, well, and I think um, it's. I think so many people are intimidated by the concept of of Bitcoin, and it is one of these things that is an inch wide and a mile deep. But you you can super get into it, and you can nerd out, and there's all kinds of tech there, and you can get into nodes and miners and hash rates and all this crazy stuff. But you absolutely don't have to. Right. And I I think nobody, uh, you know, before you guys looked at that and saw. Oh, that you could explain the basics, like the basics are accessible. Yeah. And then kids just have these malleable brains. They're not, they don't have this preset thought of what money and banking and economy mm -hmm. and all that stuff has to be. And if you've got somebody who's a regular fan of Tuttle Twins, you have these children who already understand sound money. Mm -hmm. They already have this primer about mm -hmm. inflation, about in government overreach. And so by the time you've watched those and you get to Bitcoin, like they all already understand that money needs a solution. And so it's like, okay, here's a really solid option. And they're just, yeah. they're primed for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and, and that's the thing too. Um, you know, our show is, uh, so there's something called episodic or serial. 
Serial is when you have a storyline that goes throughout an entire season. And basically if you miss one episode, you're out of the loop. We were operate on more of an episodic, um, um, uh, mindset. So you don't have to watch our episodes in order, but, um, if you do, I think you get a little more primed for that Bitcoin episode, especially when learning about um, a little more about economics and entrepreneurship and then going into inflation and then going into Bitcoin in season two, you get a little bit more knowledge. You know, we talk about the Leviathan, which is, you know, when in, when we're in crisis, how the government puts more and more rules and regulations on us. And then when the crisis is over, they do not remove them. Um so, and then it just kind of builds up slowly and slowly into this bigger and bigger beast over time. Like these are all things that adults, kids, it's a, we, we explain it in a way that they can understand and they yeah. can realize and they can open up their eyes and they can see, you know, what it is that is happening around them through a cartoon show. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, if you do watch the episodes in order, you definitely get more primed, but you don't have to. I always no. tell people if if you have time for one episode, go watch the inflation monster. Yeah, I agree. It's I, like I want Congress to watch it. Yeah. Do you know what I told? Do you know what I told Daniel and Johnny that we should do a um, we should do a marketing push where we get people to purchase the inflation graphic novel because we have graphic novels to go with all mm-hmm. of our episodes. Purchase the inflation graphic novel, mass mail them to the Capitol. Yes. Yeah. Just like influx of like all of it. They're like, what the heck? Why are we getting these like, you know, comic books? Um, and uh, just mass mail them to the, to the, to the Capitol. Cause I think it would, I, it, it is stuff that it just needs to be talked about more, you know? Yes. If, well, if, yeah. Like anyway, the, Tuttle twi- the Tuttle Twins property at large, we already saw this play out last week, right? With this adorable, awesome, dorky little kid, Jaden, right? Like I so identified yeah. uh, seeing these pictures of him because that was me, man. Like fifth grade, I was like the part, the power tie. Like I was this little Republican, you know, fifth grade marching around. And so seeing nice. this, this little kid, you know, dressed like he's going into the office instead of going into school. Yeah. Um, but see, you know, listeners, if you didn't catch it, like Connor Boyack, who who created the Tuttle Twins and, and writes and publishes the books and um, is I think an EP on the show as well. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he connects with his kid's parents cause the kid gets in trouble for having a Gadsden flag on his backpack at school, because that's a force deeply offensive and closely tied to the slave trade, except for none of that. None of that is true. And right. his, his mom had the wherewithal to record, um, her meeting with administration and it's just sad. Like you, you, he, it's been memed at this point, which is glorious, but this little kid has this smirk on his face because he's realizing as his mother's having this conversation with this professional adult educator, he's realizing, I understand this topic better More. than she does. I understand this topic better than my teachers do. Mm-hmm. And it's these kids that get exposed to this content, whether it's the Tuttle Twins books, whether it's the TV show, whether it's the graphic novels, like they're just, but they have a better understanding of civics than most adults do at yeah. this point because we don't teach these concepts anymore. He said um, he knew about his First Amendment rights through the Tuttle Twins. Like that's how he knew, and that's when he he told his mom that they needed to like raise all flags on this, and she drove him down to the local news station, and they rang the doorbell until someone answered and heard their story, and yeah. it blew up. Yeah. Um. And I mean, that's what, 
I think that's just what we need to do is those little things that we could very quickly kind of hide away those little moments of like someone saying something and you're not saying anything back. Not that every single moment is a moment to kind of blow things up and try to get them to go viral, but just making sure that your voice is heard. And, um, for everyone else that has the same, the same opinion, the same, you know, rights being violated in other ways, you know, how many kids did he help? Or yeah. how many other different situations were there that were very similar where other people realized that their First Amendment rights were being taken away from them when otherwise they would have just kind of stayed quiet, removed the patch and, and you know, yeah, gone on their sure. way to school the next day. Oh, yeah. Go, go along to get along. It's, it's so much easier. I, I mean, yeah. it's not it's, – it's, it's tough to judge somebody too harshly for kind of being meek about it and going, oh, okay. Like, it's not that easy thing to be the one that's going to stand up and be the problem and be boisterous. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's awesome to see this kid, but just armed with the knowledge and the truth of, of what his rights are and what right and wrong is and what that flag actually stood for and the value of the principles that that flag stood for. And be like, no, you're, you're wrong. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say otherwise. Yeah. Right? I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to be accused of wrong speak. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it was so awesome. It, and we see this playing out like at a, at a real potentially leg legitimate level right now, though, where it's, you know, you have serious candidates like Vivek Ramaswamy floating, raising the voting age, which we feel like it's it's heresy to raise it. But it wasn't always at 18. Then there's nothing that says that it that absolutely has to be there. Right. But, you know, kind of dovetailing with that concept of saying, if you want to vote earlier, cool, serve uh, you can or you can earn earlier, or just pass the same exam that uh, immigrants are passing in their yeah. to become naturalized U.S. citizens. Right. And how how many people you know have uh, this actually kind of blew up in my my little solid seven world here a week or two ago, where I'm not going to do him the service of, of promoting his name on here, but one of the larger and dare I say more annoying. Uh, voices in anti-Second Amendment posted something in response to that that concept of raising the voting age. He's like, oh, so you couldn't vote at 21, but you could go and buy a rifle at 18. To which, and I, I should know better. I shouldn't get baited into any any type of debate at any level online, but I just couldn't help myself. I just responded with the, the sole line of the ballot box is far more dangerous than a rifle. And it just absolutely is. And we've seen it play out over and over again throughout history. We see that play out throughout the world right now. And even you don't have to share my belief system or my mindset to see it. Like if, if the worst thing that's ever happened in your life is that Donald Trump was president, then you believe the ballot box is dangerous. And if the worst thing that ever happened in your life is that Joe Biden became president or Barack Obama became president, then you should be taking the ballot box more seriously. I think and that's an excellent point. Yes, absolutely. And you know what? In the same way that, you know, um, you're not just going to hand an eight-year-old a gun and say, here, have fun. You're going to educate them on how to properly use it. You're going to educate them on, you know, the, like when to use it, how to use it, what the safety is, what the, you know, like you're not just in the same way. Are we, are we educating our kids on, on politics, on voting? on, you know, um, what, what it means to be a Republican an independent, a Democrat, like our kids don't know this and they don't, yeah. even when they turn 18, they still don't know it. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. If it's 
should you be voting if you don't have a functional understanding of how our system of government is supposed to work? Yeah. Uh, you know, even when you when you look to, you know, states where you can potentially be voting on a constitutional amendment, like, you know, it will, occasionally those will come up down here in Florida or, uh, you know, you're voting on specific bills rather that, you know, typically that's a, you know, state or more local level. It's like if you don't understand what an appropriate role for government is, whether or not it should even or does even have the authority to do that thing. No matter how good it sounds, no matter how uh, caring and compassionate it sounds, like you can't, you can't adequately function and contribute at the ballot box, and that's when that's and that's why yard sign politicking works. It's like, oh, those color, mm-hmm. I recognize that name. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, and that's that concept. I think we talked some. I might have, at this point, we're far enough in. I don't remember if it was off air or on air, but about like the the beauty of the five thousand year leap, where the whole point, the whole goal of that book is just to teach principles of good governance, the same as we teach mm-hmm. principles of mathematics, the same way that we teach principles of science. Is it's like okay, now you have this litmus test for are are the things that. Um, that are being proposed in a particular bill or that are being touted by a particular candidate. Uh, not just do they do they sound good or do they sound nice, but is it does a government actually have that authority or is this a usurpation? Is this really a good thing? Is this a bad thing? And just having something for you to to judge against, understanding yeah. that no, the the executive the president, the executive branch, the executive agencies shouldn't be writing law. And that's intentional. You don't want people disconnected from you creating law. That's why it's supposed to happen over in the halls of Congress, where if you don't like what they're doing, you can vote them out. And sure, you can vote a president out, but you can't, this is what we're all talking about right now. You can't clean house at all those, all those agencies. The president goes, but those people stay. And that's why it sounds conspiratorial to say the deep state, but it's these bureaucrats that are spending their whole lives there and these are the people making more and more decisions about what the law of the land is. And you don't ever get a say in who they are or what their authority is. You're supposed to, but we don't exercise it anymore. Right. It's not the way things right. are functioning. But it's, you know, our schools aren't teaching that that knowledge. And these aren't what we're seeing through the TV show, what we're seeing through Connor's books. What's, what we're seeing through all this content is... Yeah, these can be very heady concepts. You can go and sit down and read The Wealth of Nations. You can go and sit down mm-hmm. and read The Law. You can go and sit, sit and read the, the Creature from Jekyll Island. You can, and, and you probably should, but you don't have to. The underlying principles that make those things true and good can, can and should be simplified, and there's no greater proof than taking them and turning them into great content for yeah. children. If you can yeah. do it for them, we, we could do it for you know, young adults and even older adults and even some of the octogenarians in DC that could use some of these lessons at this point. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, when you're talking about our founding fathers and when you're talking about the original constitution, um, that's obviously what our company was found or what our country was founded on. But, uh, you also, you know, we can't pretend that we don't live in a different world than they lived in, you know, um, when they said, uh, you know, the right to, to bear arms, they weren't talking about people of color. Um, you know, and I think there are definitely ways where we just need to make sure that we are being inclusive of all nationalities that are, that now make up the United States. Like we can't pretend like I'm an American. Okay. Well, where does your lineage come from? Were your parents from Ireland? Were they from, you know, Russia? Were they like, everyone comes from somewhere else, you know? Um, 
And so I think as long as we acknowledge that um, we need to put those laws for everybody, that those laws are not the right to life, liberty, and property is not for specific people. It's for everybody. Um, And I think that's the biggest thing. If I were to reinterpret the Constitution, just making sure that, you know, you, you come at it reading it with that mindset of, you know, maybe this didn't mean everybody when it was written, but it does now, you know, because that's our society. That's the, that's the modern world we live in. Yeah, no, that's real. And so to turn things back to process a little bit, so you come on, you're going to straighten things out with these animation studios. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, You're working though under a really unique financial situation though on that show where it's not like if you were working on, uh, you know, maybe one of the big streaming productions or one of the big network productions where it's like, this is, this is the funding behind this, right? It's, you know, the, these products or projects, you know, from Angel Studios are, are very famously at this, at this point in particular, uh, crowdsourced, crowdfunded the, you know, the, the pay it forward methodology and even using them as, uh, or, or being available as legitimate investment vehicles, which is such genius and so creative. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, you might be producing episode three and funding for episode seven still, you know, out there in the ether. How mm-hmm. how does that make, you know, producing on this show in particular uh, maybe unique or, or more challenging? Or is it like, hey, no sweat? You have to have a lot of faith. You have to have a lot of faith and you have to, um, you know, constantly be operating at a place of caution but then also from a place of belief that, you know what, it's going to happen, you know? Uh, and if it, if it doesn't happen, we'll deal with it then, but we're going to operate as if everything is going to go through and as if everything is going to be great. Um, because you kind of have no choice when you, when you are looking at a, a show that takes, you know, six to seven months per episode to create, I can't wait to know whether or not that's going to be funded to start production on that episode because then we're not going to have another episode for another six months. And then season one will be released over six years, you know? Um, so it's, it is, it is a lot of faith and that does cause stress, but at the same time, you just got to realize that you're not in control. Um, and, uh, that can be scary to not be in control. Um, and to do the best that you can do with the position that you have and with the, the, you know, the resources that you have in front of you and just move forward, know how much you need to pay the bills every month. Um, and I mean, now luckily we're at a place where we have consistent bills being paid. (laughs) Um, we've never missed a single payment to, you know, any vendor or any talent or anything like that. Um, which I mean, my husband, so my husband is one of the lead story artists on Tuttle Twins and he's worked at other productions where, sorry guys, we didn't get the funding. Um, we're closing doors and he's been like, cool. Well, what about the money you owe me for the past two months of work? No, sorry. We don't have money to pay you. So he just worked the past two months for free. I want to make sure that with the production, we never, never put our artists in that position. So yeah. I just made sure that at least the money that we had in the bank was going to be enough for the work that was being done. Yeah, for sure. I, I would assume, uh, you know, we're unabashed fans of the office ladies here at uh, the Sons of a podcast and Angela and Jenna kill it with their rewatch podcast. And part of what they do such a great job of is giving everybody that background look and really showing a lot of love 
to their crew, to their producers, you know, to um, just everybody, you know, set design, all that stuff. And so like even recently they were breaking down, I think it might be their most recent episode. It was when uh, Robert California takes everyone to his house. And that was actually like they couldn't find a house with a pool that they liked all in the same spot. So they're filming the pool scenes in one location. They're filming the house scenes in another location. And they're breaking down everything that had to happen and the costs involved to make that happen and to make one location look like the next location. Mm -hmm. And they'll get into – I talked some uh, with last week's guest, Vaughn Ray, about this because – um, his his hit single off his album with Elektra uh, was featured on Smallville, and then the band actually had a cameo on Smallville. So I was asking him, like, hey, what'd they pay for your song? Because the office leaders are always talking about how, you know, the writers wanted this song, and that song, that clip of that song cost 50 grand or 70 grand yeah. or, or these outrageous things. So it's, they never know with whatever script comes down the pike, these unknown costs of, you know, whether it's location shoots, set design, um, uh, you know, bringing some, uh, you know, additional actors and anything like that. So I would assume in this format, your costs in any given episode are, are much more of a known quantity or maybe much more uh, consistent. Yes and no. So we have, um, in order to keep costs consistent, we have a specific set of um, uh, like, uh, you'd call that we call them assets. What would you call them? Um, elements of a script that have to be in place. So no more than um, five new environments per episode. No more than um, uh, fifteen new characters per episode. Um, no more than and and we have a couple of different of different things in place to make sure that because if it's new, we got to draw it. If it's a location we've been to before, we have drawings of that location already that we can reuse, yeah. right? So it's, it's a much lower cost for the episode if we're reusing same locations. Our Daniel and Johnny are in charge of our, of our writing. Um, and uh, as much as they will tell you that creativity strives or thrives with constraint, um, they often are going way over on numbers. <laughs> and I, you know, we have multiple production check-ins where I am saying, guys, you know, I, we really got to cut back on, on these environments. And they're like, well, like we have to go to see, um, you know, Albert Einstein and then to go see Mary Curie and then to go talk to, you know, Fluby in his studio. And like, we have to do like, all like, there's nothing that, <sighs> so it is, it is a lot of compromise with the writers, um, and with the directors to make sure that we can, uh, get things in a place that we can hit financially. Yeah. Now I have certain directors and certain writers who I know ahead of time, they're going to go over. I'll reserve budgets because I, I know they're going to go over. Right. Um, and so in that respect, you know, sometimes it's 5,000, sometimes it's 50,000. So it's just a matter of knowing your crew in order to, to hit those kind of points you need to. Yeah. Project costs and and production costs are always kind of that thing that you really need to keep track of, especially when you're a smaller production like ours and you don't have like the backing of, you know, a Fox studio or, you know, Netflix or something like that behind you. Um, So very, um, we're very conscientious of that. And luckily we have a lot of people on our team who love what we're doing and love, you know, just want to be involved. Um, and so they're, 
not willing to work for free because I would never ask anyone to work for free, but they're willing to maybe not make as much as if they had the same role at Disney. Right. So how many, like, uh, we didn't plan this this way, or maybe you did because you picked the recording date this go round. but I think this will drop on Monday. So the day after this episode drops is Tuttle Tuesday, right? Yep. Yep. So, uh, if you're listening to this on release day, just mark, mark the calendar for Tuttle Tuesday, the, that following Tuesday. But so you, you've 5th. got, so you've got an episode about to drop. So then, um, you know, that one I would assume is essentially buttoned up. So at any given time, how many different episodes do you have in some stage of production? Well, that's a fantastic question. So in some stage of production, so writing is considered pre-production, so that would still be in some stage of production. Right now we have, let's see, uh, we just finished up one episode, um, literally just tied, uh, actually are still, I guess technically that episode's still being worked on right now. We're just getting some final tweaks to it. So that'd be one, two, three, four, five, six that are currently working. And then we have uh, two new episodes that we'll be kicking off uh, to writing next week. So that'll put us at um, eight episodes. Gosh. Um, yeah, in all different phases of completion, somewhere in between, and just starting writing. And so you're juggling budgets, scheduling, directors, talent, the whole shebang for all of those at any given time. Correct. When do you, yeah. like, you know, I don't sleep? Um, you know what's funny is that I always make sure I get at least six to eight hours. That's weird. There we go. Yeah, I always I, make sure I get at least six to eight hours of sleep. I don't understand how. I'm so confused. Um, <laughs> when you have a really good team in place and you can trust the team that you have. Uh, when I first started at Tuttle, I was the only one working on the production side. And it was essentially just me, Daniel, Johnny, and like a very small handful of people that they had pulled in from their, their um, marketing firm, Harmon Brothers. Yeah. Um, so when I got on, I had to hire and I had to make sure that I hired people in the right roles. Um, one thing I love to do is hire new grads, um, especially for a smaller production. Now I'm not talking new grads because I can pay them pennies. That's not why I'm talking new grads. I'm talking new grads because they're passionate. Yeah. They are hungry. They will do great work for you. Um, and especially if you see that they were involved in student activities and that, you know, their portfolios look good. Um, and they, you know, maybe even did some freelance while they were, you know, going through college for some extra, you know, money to put them through college. Like I want someone who is going to be hungry because yeah. then I can also mold them and help them in their career. I, I love helping people in their career. I actually, yeah, um, I run an animation event company as well. Um, and we have an annual event that we run that has over a thousand attendees annually. And then we just finished up a series of um, different events this past summer. We had seven different events this summer. And the whole purpose of those, someone asked me, they said, oh, so are you starting that event company so that you could eventually sell it and like, you know, make millions or whatever? And I said, no. I said, if I, if I only ever break even with this company, I'll be happy because I want to give people the opportunity to have what I had, that networking, that communication, that physical interaction, that learning from people who have been there, um, that ability to just be a part of a community, which yeah. I think is so important. 
Um, and that's what I love to build with our team is a, is a community. And, and if I do say so, I think I've done a pretty good job. You know, we have, um, about a dozen people in house. We have, uh, just about as many working remotely. We have the team down in Columbia. I mean, I've, I went to Columbia in February and spent time with the team down there. Um, I just really want to make sure that it's a good dynamic and that people are getting out of it what they want, Yeah, you know, that they're not just coming in, sitting at a cubicle, getting their work done. Like I said earlier, that they're really getting out of it and feeling like this is something that's going to help them in their career, in their life. Um, if they want to stick with Tuttle forever, cool. I'll have them forever. But if they ultimately want to move on, I'm happy to give a recommendation letter. Um, yeah. Very, very cool. Now I, I know, um, you know, in talking with Daniel and Johnny, they've both got directorial credits on the show and I, mm-hmm. I didn't skim through all. Have you gotten behind the camera, so to speak yet? Do you have any desire to? I, so on, uh, on season one, our war of the worms episode, I was co-director with Johnny because we, again, we were kind of going through different animation houses and the animation house we had on that needed a lot of handholding. And also Johnny was still learning. He came from live action. He had never worked on animation before. So I was helping him learn basically what he could and couldn't comment on how we could make things better through animation. Um, and so I got a co-directing uh, credit with him, which I never asked for, but Daniel ultimately is the one in charge of credits. That's cool. So, yeah. Yeah. If you're hearing that noise, my dog is sleeping and wagging her tail. So <laughs> That's cute. fantastic. Um, what a yeah. life dogs lead. <laughs> what a life. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I have that. And then also, um, because I come from the art side of things, uh, sometimes I'll help out with animation. Uh, we had our freedom of speech episode. Uh, if you want a song that is catchy, you got one. <laughs> um, my husband was the animation director on that episode, and I did all the visuals for um, Mr. Megaphone's concert. Nice. So if you look at the screen and all the screens that happen like during uh-huh. that whole scene, I did all the visuals on those screens just because sometimes I just want to do something else. Uh, yeah. We have an environment that needs to be created in 3D so that our artists could could visualize it better. I just yeah. did that environment last week because I just wanted to do something creative because I love, and that's what I love about small productions too, is that you have that opportunity to step up where if I was working at, you know, DreamWorks, uh, I would not be allowed to. That yeah. would not be my job. I would have to go to someone else. Um, and so I like the freedom of small productions. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So because you don't have enough going on, um, you know, the, the animation event business, <clears throat> multiple episodes in development, playing a few different roles occasionally here on Tuttle Twins TV, you figured, hey, why not add like creator, executive producer, maybe showrunner to my <laughs> list of things to do, just not on Tuttle Twins? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about Kelly and Friends? I am talking about Kelly and Friends. I love Kelly and Friends. Uh, so for people who are listening, um, Kelly and Friends is a new show that um, we're currently getting off the ground. Uh, we're looking for investors. So if you know people that are interested in investing, I'll give you a very brief synopsis of the show. I'm working with the book creator. Um, and it is the first ever, first ever kid show 
to have a child with Down syndrome as the lead character. He is not a side character. He is not a one episode character. He is the lead character. He is Kelly in Kelly and Friends. Um, And the whole purpose of the show is to give kids who are otherwise deemed different, quote unquote, a voice and and a place and to um, allow other kids to accept them as just another child on the playground, as another friend's house that they're going to. So um, we have uh, kids in the show who have autism. We have kids in the show who have um, physical disabilities that um, we have a little boy who was born without his limbs. We have a little girl who has vitiligo where she's like missing patches of color in her skin. And it's all based upon um, Jordan, not me, another Jordan. He wrote a book series because he was best friends with and caretaker for his uncle who had Down syndrome. Um, and he realized when he would go out in public with his uncle that kids would stare and parents would usher them away or kids would stare and parents would come up and say, and encourage the kid to have a conversation and talk about, you know, why is Kelly look different? Why is he an adult, but he's acting like a little kid? Um, that kind of thing. Cause he, he, um, was nonverbal as well. Um, and so he did seem very different to a lot of kids and Jordan realized that there was no good series out there that talked to kids on a kid's level about what it was to have down syndrome. So he originally created the book series specifically about his uncle Kelly to talk to neurotypical kids who are kids that don't have anything, you know, mentally or physically, uh, um, you know, wrong with them and educate them about down syndrome. But as the book series got bigger, he actually realized he was being contacted by parents of, of children with down syndrome. He was being contacted by individuals themselves, self-advocates that had down syndrome saying like, thank you. Thank you for giving me a voice. Thank you for representing me. Like this is the only place where I've seen myself accurately portrayed. Um, and, uh, he realized that he needed to start doing that for other people as well. So he branched out into vitiligo. He um, has another book series right now, or another series, uh, book in the series that's coming out with a little boy who has alopecia. Um, and um, yeah, the, what we want to do with the show is be able to, in a really fun way, so the show has a bit of a magical element to it where the kids, there's a plush world and um, there's Professor Kelso Koala, who is the, prof- the professor of a, the plush academy where all plushies go to school to learn how to be guardians of children in the real world. Um, and then they go out and, and kids learn through, if you're familiar with the fruits of the spirit, love, mm-hmm. joy, peace, patience, kindness. The kids learn through these how to be good friends, how to be good neighbors, how to be you know, a good part of their community um, and, and show acceptance and show love to those, those kids that otherwise are kind of either bullied or ostracized, yeah. um, which are just equally as, as you know, damaging to a child. Um, so that's what, the, that's what we're focusing on with the book series. And we have uh, a lot of fantastic traction. We're in the midst of, um, like I said, getting investors to, to do the full series um, for season one. Um, we may or may not be working with Angel. Um, you beat, you beat me uh, to that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because I love, one of the things I love about Angel is the way that they run their content, which is they don't have a dictatorship. Um, you know, their CFO, CEO, they are not the ones making a decision on whether or not a property is going to be made into a show. 
um, everything on their platform goes through what's called the guild. And there's about a hundred thousand people on the guild that watch shows and pitches, and they vote on whether or not they think that this story amplifies light, whether or not they think that this story is something that needs to be made and heard. Um, and that's what determines what gets onto the, the platform or not, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, I think I, I know a couple of people that have put stuff in and it's called the guild. You mm-hmm. can go to angel and you can become a part of the guild. Um, and you can be ones reviewing content. Um, if that's something that, that you're looking forward to, just go to angel.com and you can see, um, there how to become a part. Um, and one, one of the things that I think a lot of people are surprised at is not everything passes. I have yeah. friends who think their project is fantastic and love everything and think for sure this is a shoe in for the angel audience and it doesn't go through. Yeah. Well, so, it's, yeah. I mean, you see such a, you know, I, I touched on it a little bit. I, I may have show, thrown a little bit of, of shade at Kirk Cameron uh, when the, when the guys were on, but the, the problem is for any kind of faith-based or values-based content for too long, there, there just were no gatekeepers. There was no quality yeah. control. Uh, and it showed. And occasionally you'd have this kind of one-off standout that, it, you know, maybe they land on something and it would kind of take off. But by yeah. and large, you ended up with some pretty mockable content. Whereas <laughs> you you just see the difference in what's what's coming out of of angel at this point. And it, and it shows in all of the products. I mean, it's right. Like there's the obvious tent poles at this point with you guys on the animation side with the chosen. And of course with sound of freedom, but even, um, you know, like the comedy series, like it just comes through, uh, in everything. And so there, there should be some quality control. There should be some gatekeepers there, but at the same time, like I'd, I'd love to see them end up with, uh, you know, uh, just a nice stable of, of animation to become, you know, kind of fill that, that WB or that, that Disney void. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity out there and that angel came in at the right time, um, into, into the market. I mean, not only with the boom that we have in streaming right now, but the kind of want for people to have content that they don't have to worry about, their, what are their kids watching? What are the hidden messages, et cetera? I mean, the thing is we've gotten chewed out. You know, we have social media. People yeah. people will chew us out on social media and be like, oh, sure, you guys, you know, uh, you don't want any propaganda, but you're the biggest propaganda there is. Okay, we're not hiding it. We tell yes. you season one, episode one, exactly what we're about. Yeah. We are, you know, go to our website, read about us. Like, like we will tell you what, what we're about. We're not sitting here trying to sneak other agendas into your child's media that you're unaware yeah. of. You know, if you don't want to watch us, don't watch us. Well, and that's a kid's programming has always propagandized. Everything does media does entertainment does. Everything's got a point of view. Everything's got values that it's calling to or selling to. It's just, we didn't notice it or feel it before because everybody stuck to shared values or, mm. or I should say we used to have shared values, right? Yeah. Like nobody was turned off or off put by He-Man's takeaways at the end of the episode, right? Like it's just, oh no, that's a good moral thing that we, regardless of your religion or lack thereof, regardless of your socioeconomic status, you're like, no, we should treat other people the way we wanted to be. We want to be treated. Good job. He man, yeah. Like we yeah. were, everybody was on board. Good job, Shira, because they needed to make more toys uh, and have a, a female, <laughs> uh, you know, a heroine involved there. And, but, and so it's like part of that now is, um, all right. The challenge is 
we don't have a lot of shared values yeah. anymore. Um, or we, I think we do, but we don't realize we do because social media, the news, the government, everyone is trying to separate us. Yeah. They want us to fight so that we don't see what's going on. Yeah. And we just see the black and the white and the red in our eyes. And we aren't realizing the, the gray that's out there. And we aren't realizing you know, what we do have in common, we only see what we don't. Yeah. No, no, that's right. That's good. Yeah. And it's, you know, and the algorithms aren't helping any, right? Yeah. Like it's, we click more when we're ticked off, sadly. Yeah. 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 So where, how far along are you guys at in the, in the new show right now? Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not. <laughs> um, but uh, we just got well, greenlit for season three. Really? Yeah. Yeah. For, now, are we we're now, talking Tuttle Twins or are we talking the new one? For Tuttle. Okay. Um, we got to, we're, we're taking it slow and easy. Like I said, we kind of got to, you know, take it one month at a time as we see what budgets are and as we see what, you know, what's, what revenue is rolling in and stuff. Um, but we're starting to, to, to write season three, we're really excited. And with the new show, we are in the midst of putting together um, a trailer and some new, um, um, some new, uh, like pitching basically, yeah, uh, content for it. Um, and Angel, while I say we may or may not be working with Angel, they've got a lot of content that is coming through. Um, and I want to get it made faster than I know they would be able to help us make it, which mm -hmm. is the only reason that I haven't a hundred percent pulled the trigger with them. Cause gotcha. I just, I want it to move faster. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, um, what's fundraising look like right now on Kelly's is that like, what's your, what's your opening round? What are you guys looking to get to kind of as your first goal to move things along? Yeah. So our first goal, um, so our episodes are about 250,000 an episode, which is actually really low for animation. We're trying to keep it, um, uh, on the lower end of things so that we can kind of work our way up because budgets inevitably increase as seasons yeah. go on. They do not decrease or stay the same by any means. Um, so we have a $50,000, uh, round that we're looking for right now. Um, and that will get us, um, help us finish up the trailer. And with the trailer also comes assets for the actual show because it's animation, what we create, uh, we own. So yeah. if we create backgrounds, character development, concept development, all of that, we can bring into the show. So it gives you a good head start on the show. Um, so then the, the remaining, once we have all of that and we feel like that's a good thing to be able to pitch to, to bigger investors, then we're looking at the 200,000. We have someone right now who has expressed interest in the full first season of funding. Oh, wow. But we're waiting for some um, red tape. That's the thing, man. When you're when yeah. you're when you're funding, that's that's what it always comes down to is uh, contracts and board agreements and term sheets and all the stuff that's not fun when creating a cartoon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I don't think I, I thought about that talking through the show with the guys, but it's just, you know, the, the crowdfunding is such a blessing and a curse, right? Because to it, it seems like it would be such a freedom 
over again, going back to all of my knowledge of the entertainment industry comes from the office ladies. And, uh, but just like seeing what they would go through with the studio, with studio executives, with non-creatives chiming in and wanting to have yeah. their say, uh, you know, and then with standards and stuff and blurring of fingers and lip flaps and everything else, those things are always hilarious, but just the freedom that it seems to bring, but then also, you know, it's, you're, it, it's like being in Congress, right? Like you got an election, you got another episode coming up. Like it's, yeah, you, you got to raise this much per day, per week, per month, whatever, mm-hmm. to keep that that ship rolling. And luckily, I mean, Angel's been a really good partner. They do a lot of our marketing efforts. We have uh, Johnny, who's our CMO, so he's in charge of um, marketing final decisions. But um, you know, Angel, that's one thing that they do for their creators that is great. They do all the merchandising. Um, now we have decided to hold on to our own social media, but for a lot of creators, Angel's helping manage their social media, helping manage their emailers, um, things like that. So, um, we're not alone, which is what's really nice. You know, all the pressure isn't on Johnny and his team of a whopping, uh, three members, you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, we, we have the support of angels so that when it does come to the fundraising and the email pushes and all of the merchandising and coordinating shipments and things like that, we have Angel that can help us out. And that's really yeah. been a blessing. That's really been awesome. No, that's very cool. So, Will, I mean, if we're already dropping knowledge here, you know, unless you come back to me after the fact and be like, hey, cut all of that stuff about season three out. <laughs> uh, with a new season coming, does that mean a new investment round opens up on Tuttle Twins? Uh, that's to be determined. We are we are working on all that paperwork right now. Um, and so there is always a way to give to Tuttle Twins. You can always go and pay it forward. Um, and that allows us, I mean, for those of you who don't know, Tuttle Twins is free. Go to yeah. angel.com right now. It's free to watch. No obligation, no subscription required. Uh, all of the content on Angel is free. And one of the ways that it remains free is by people paying it forward. Um, and by people saying, you know what? I love this show so much. Here's 10 bucks so the next person can watch this show. Yeah. Um, and we have people and also that, the format um, for that, like the way that yeah. just plays out practically is so cool. Like no matter what the start of everything you're watching is going to remind you somebody else paid for you to enjoy this. I, yep. I, I love it extra when it has the name, when it's not the anonymous giver yeah. uh, where it's like, Hey, this, this one's on Susie. I'm like, thanks yep. Susie. I love, thanks. Appreciate you. Yep. Yeah. And then Angel, uh, at their, um, annual meeting this year, they also released like this new way of, of connecting with the audience. And that's what Angel's all about. They want to connect with the audience where when you hit pause on an episode that you're watching, say you're watching the chosen, say you're watching Tuttle twins. When you hit pause, you'll have a series of videos that come up. Um, and those videos are user, user generated content. People saying, you know, I love this, this episode about inflation. Um, you know, my kid and I went to Costco the other day and I was complaining about egg prices and he said, well, dad, that's due to inflation. Like, thank you so much for teaching my kids about economics. Like, you know, and so you'll see these little videos that allow you to also realize that you're part of a community, like talking about community before, like you're part of this community, you know, and the user generated content I think is what's so fun. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, on uh, on the Kelly and Friends side, if somebody wants to get involved, they want to support that, where where do we send them right now? Yeah. So I have a company called um, Elephant Season Productions. Um, so you can go to elephantseasonproductions.com. And once you go there, you'll have a lovely little pop-up. And you can click on that and learn more about Kelly and Friends. 
Okay, elephant season isn't the kind of thing you can just drop without an explanation. <laughs> um, oh, without a very long explanation. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's keep it short. All right, so elephants are awesome. For people who don't know, elephants Agreed. are just who doesn't the love absolute elephants? best, right? Yes. They are one of the only animals that um, they've been proven to like have feelings and emotions and they visit grave sites and they mourn their dead. Um, but they're also uh, extremely helpful to um, uh, humans, right? Like they help us in ways uh, that like, for example, I don't know if you remember the tsunami that happened in India a couple of mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah, yeah. There were, there's elephants in India. And, um, uh, they actually saved a couple hundred people because the elephants, their, the pads on their feet are so big, they could feel the rumbling of the tsunami coming before the tsunami ever was even visible at all to anybody on. So they started running for the mountains and people who know like elephants have an instinct followed the elephants into the mountains and they saved a couple hundred people. And then after the tsunami, the same elephants came down and started helping with, um, uh, debris removal because they can't get big construction equipment in there to like move housing pieces or tree right. limbs to help people who are trapped. So the elephants were doing it with their trunks and to their own detriment, they were, they were like severely cutting up their feet on the, uh, on the ground and on the rubble that they were stepping on in order to help save human lives. Um, and so I think they're just absolutely amazing creatures and we could, we could definitely learn from them. I mean, the largest, you know, land animal, um, just an absolute force, gentle when they, when they can want to be gentle, you know, can absolutely show power when they need to show power. By no means should you ever approach an elephant in the wild because uh, you'll probably die. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so there are these like gentle quote unquote giants, but they're not gentle at all at the same time. Um, and then season because the season of life, right? Like, like life operates in terms of like, it's a good season financially. It's a bad season financially. It's a, it's winter, it's spring. Like every season comes with its own pros and cons in life, um, and its own challenges. But then the other way you can think of season is it adds spice. It's, you know, it's your cayenne pepper, it's your garlic. Uh, you add seasoning to a dish to, to pump it up and zest it up. Um, so taking those two things into consideration, um, it's elephant season. It's the season to be strong and the season to be gentle and the season, you know, to, to add this spice to the content that you're creating. So we do commercial work, um, as well as, so I know you said, I don't have enough jobs. (laughs) We do commercial work, um, for, for, um, commercials. (laughs) In terms of animation, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of animation, and then uh, we're also uh, running Kelly and Friends through through Elephant Season. So again, elephantseasonproductions.com. If you go to elephantseason.com, you could also get there. You'll see there's like another link there, but you know, just go yeah. straight to Elephant Season Productions, I'm and you'll see the normally pop up for Kelly and Friends. Almost famously, if I were famous, famously lazy with my show notes, but we'll make sure that the links are in the, the show notes. Okay. Also, what I'm hearing here, like we've talked about our shared love for animated ducks and our shared love for whatever the Animaniacs kids actually were, which was kind of the running joke of the show. Yeah. And what I'm hearing is, and now we have this incredible animated show out there with a beloved family of dogs. I think mm-hmm. a beloved family of animated elephants, I think we're due. That's what I'm hearing. Well, Babar... No, dude, nobody knows Babar. Give me a break. <laughs> I know Babar. <laughs> oh, 
It's like it's like coming at me with Peppa Pig. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, but let's do it well. Is what I'm saying. No, I know. Yeah, no, dude. I I would love to do a show about some some like an awesome little family of elephants and a kid who's really clumsy because his trunk is too long and he has to learn how to be gentle and you know, uh, yeah, I would I would love that. That would be yeah. awesome. I mean, we've had these glimpses of greatness, right? With Dumbo, with the elephant from Tarzan. I think somebody just needs to to finish the job there. The elephant and from Tarzan is so cute. It's hilarious. I love him. That line forever. Is this water sanitary? Is this just, water sanitary? Uh, yeah. My son's so like that too. I'm like the problem with raising children th- f- through COVID. It's like, oh crap. We said like, beware of germs f- way too many times. And I got to yeah, walk it back. So yeah. I'm like, can you go eat some dirt please for the love? <laughs> He doesn't insist on wiping down groceries when we bring him in the house, does he? <laughs> no, 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 not not that. I I, I already had to, uh, uh, you know, prevent myself from rabbit trailing uh, over the fact that you said you were in California when uh, COVID popped off. Which oh man, sorry. Are you based I, in Utah I wasn't now? In California, you, I was in my apartment. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. No kidding. So are are you in Utah now? I am. I'm kind of glad. So there. So. You did the the northeast, um, mm-hmm. you know, not the uh, not the reddest of areas. Yeah, um, California. I lived in Florida. I skipped that over. The great state of I Florida. Know. I lived in Palm Coast. I was a nanny for a family out in the Palm Coast. Where in the world was that in the timeline? That was the year after high school. I was there oh. for about nine months. I lived with a family in the penthouse suite of a, um, resort because they were building their house and the other, there was three penthouses. The other one was owned by Cheryl Crow and the other one was owned by Tiger Woods. And then we lived in the third one. Slumming it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. totally slumming it. Yeah. So, well, again, uh, Florida though, uh, deep, deep, uh, red, uh, these days, uh, you were in a very blue area. So it's, you've, Mm -hmm. uh, bounced around these area these these bastions of of liberalism and leftism mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. now you find yourself uh in Utah is there is that a breath of fresh air is that culture shock is that you know i had never really heard the term libertarianism until working and learning more about tuttle and then i realized that i'm a libertarian <laughs> Yes. <laughs> because I've never quite agreed with the politics anywhere. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, it hasn't been a culture shock. So I grew up, um, my dad is an evangelical pastor. Um, so I grew up in an evangelical house. Um, and then as an adult, I go to non-denominational churches um, because again, I've maybe, maybe, you know, my religious life is, is a reflection of my political views. I just don't like getting into more of the politics of stuff. Like I want to, you know, go to church and learn about the Bible and not have to worry about specific, you know, denominational things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so moving to Utah, one thing that I absolutely love about it here is the ability to have this really family connection with a lot of people. Now, I mean, Utah, people know it's, it's primarily an LDS or Mormon state. Uh Um, I am not part of their church, but I'm definitely part of the families that are here. I have never felt more connection to neighbors, more connection to coworkers. Um, I have, you know, 
been really embraced even by the, the, the family and, um, of the Harmon brothers and the guys who are the founders of angel. Um, I have found nothing but warm hearted, friendly, family oriented, good valued people out here. Um, and I really like it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I, I find that most people that ever get a good explanation of libertarianism are probably more libertarian than they think. Yeah. Uh, like there, there really is more to it than just uh, let's make weed legal. Like it really, the, right. the thought process expands uh, beyond that, and it does dovetail. I've I've always felt like so well actually uh, with Christianity, and I think too much um, of the church gets hung up on the well. I mean, they want to make crack legal. Well, I mean, yeah, but that doesn't mean they want you to do crack. Those right. are two different right. things, right. 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 right? Like can and should, like we need to understand this. And it's really, it's about like, I don't want to, like the too much of the church has gotten too comfortable outsourcing their job as the church to the government, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's easier for you, for the government to say you can't than to convince somebody of your system of belief and your system of morals. And you just might need to step up and do a little bit of the work is, yeah. is all. You might actually have to take care of your neighbor yourself and you might actually have to can you know convince them that uh, you know God does love them and does have a plan for their life and what they're doing right now doesn't exactly fit. Uh, and you just you, you might need to do a little bit of that work because the problem is, it, it's great when the government's enforcing what you believe in, but the farther and the more antagonistic it becomes against what you believe in, once it deviates yeah. from your belief system, then it's a problem. And so, yeah. you know, so do you really want them to have that level of authority? Do you really want them that involved in your life? So I'm still, uh, I, I always say conservatarian. Uh, which, you know, ticks, nice. ticks off conservatives and libertarians, which is That's just funny. extra fun. Uh, but uh, yeah, and it's know. it's interesting. The Libertarian Party is very interesting because you have extremes. Um, you have very much extremes, you know, of the conservatarians mm-hmm. and the uh, liberaltarians. <laughs> 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 um, you know, and and I think just all the more reason why we need to see what we have in common versus what we have that are that's different, and yeah. we need to come together in our in our commonalities um, and in our you know, love for each other, love for our neighbor, love for, you know, um, our, our own family members. You know, I think there's too many families that are even separated because of political beliefs. Um, and you can have different political beliefs from someone and still love them. Yeah. You know, yeah, I've seen this great animated, uh, kid show episode all about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it maybe called Tuttle Twins? It, it, it is. There's a flat earth and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think I heard of that episode. <laughs> oh my gosh. We got, we got that, just the marketing for that episode. People just love to come at us without ever watching the show. Um, and it's really interesting. Daniel, Daniel posted something the other day on LinkedIn saying something like, oh, you know, I like, thank you guys so much for, you know, this many years on the show and it's been great and blah, blah, blah. And he had someone who immediately, now this is LinkedIn. This is not Reddit. This is not, you know, Instagram. Yeah. Um, Someone said, uh, don't listen to Daniel Harmon. He's just like a conservative propagandist. If, uh, you know, uh, the Twin show is just a way to brainwash our kids, blah, blah, blah. And I loved Daniel's response. He said, I appreciate your input. Um, have you actually watched the show in order to form these opinions? If not, I recommend that you do. And if you still have those opinions afterwards, that's fine. And then he like gave him a link to, to watch the show. And 
the guy never said anything else because I of think once not. people do watch the show, they realize that they agree. They don't want to agree. They don't want to yeah. agree with someone that's considered conservative or someone that's, you know, considered not liberal. They don't want to agree with you. Yeah. But they're saying, oh, well, actually, maybe this isn't as bad as I thought it was. Yes. Maybe we have more in common. <laughs> well, and it's uh, help me with the the actual episode title. But the, the recent one, the ideas to applaud can come from people who are flawed. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you know, there's, uh, I, I wouldn't call it a takedown, right? But Ronald Reagan takes a couple of knocks in that episode, mm-hmm. right? Like it's not, it's not this one-sided. It's not this hard right thing, which libertarian tends to not be because we see yeah. overreach and intrusion coming from both sides of the aisle. We see the the overspending and the devaluing of our money coming from both sides of the aisle. Uh, so in that sense, um, you know, whatever your, um, your political sensibilities are, you're going to find things you love and you're going to find things that you go, Oh, I didn't, I didn't like that. And maybe you should question why, why that stings so much, why you didn't like it, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, there's a, if we're not either changing someone's mind or making them really mad, we're not doing our job. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Well, and I did love, and I want to see more of uh, like Johnny brought up when, when he was on doing, uh, you know, like the negative comment ad reads for Tuttle Twins mm-hmm. early on mm-hmm. for Connor. I'm like, I love stuff like Jesse Kelly. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Jesse Kelly does such a great job of just monetizing his haters uh, on his social media. And I, I love that, that kind of stuff. I just love to see somebody who it's like, what of all the limited time you had, none of us have enough time right. in the day, but you took some of that time and you figured I'm going to go hate on this media personality or I'm going to go hate on this TV show. Like what possessed you to do anything other than just, you know, figuratively or literally change the channel. Hey, this isn't for yeah. me. Okay. I'm out. Yep. So, well, and you know what it comes And if you even want to just take that, I mean, not even just political views or trolling or anything like that in life. Right. They say that, uh, a good businessman, someone who's, you know, higher up in, in, in the, the career ladder is not going to judge you for starting a business. A bodybuilder is not going to judge you for starting to work out, but it's the people who are sitting on the couch, you know, eating a a whole bag of Doritos by themselves that are judging you for working out. It's the people who are living paycheck to paycheck and have every single bill on a credit card that are judging you for starting a business. Right. And it's the, it's the same mentality of like, listen to, listen to the people who have been there and let the haters roll away because ultimately their opinion doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I think that's, uh, that's a good, it'd be tough to find a better stopping point than that. (laughs) This has been thoroughly delightful. Uh, I could easily continue to record, but out of uh, respect for your time and my wife, who's waiting to bring our boisterous children uh, you know, home to the uh, studio, <laughs> we'll wrap. But seriously, this has been so much fun. Really appreciate you doing this. Yeah. Uh, thank you for having me. I really like when you said, oh, and I'd love to have you on the podcast. I was like, oh, oh, cool. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. <laughs> I find, and I'm I'm stealing some of this mentality somewhat from Jordan Peterson, but there's just not too many people in life that if you're willing to to sit down and actually converse and listen, that there's not 
something interesting to their story and there's not something to learn. And so uh, that's part of what I enjoy about the format of the show that I do is like none of my regulars are famous people. I love to have incredible guests that people recognize, have heard on that kind of thing, come on. But I also love to have the kind of people that any of us, you know, like this isn't that different than if we got to know each other and we were out having a cup of coffee and talking about investing in Kelly and friends, the conversation would have been the same. And, uh, you know, yeah. if people walk away with uh, a little bit more curiosity about libertarianism or a little more impressed with what it takes to make an animated show or movie, all the better. Right. Yeah. And uh, uh, last note, my maiden name is Peterson. Really? So I am Jordan Peterson. I like it. Yeah. I'd lean into that hard. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would glob onto that family name. Uh, no questions asked right now. Just start. Uh, maybe that's after the elephant show, you move on to a lobster show and you just there really you play up the Jordan Peterson size. <laughs> well, it's been a blast. Hopefully uh, the first time, but not the last time would love to cycle back around. Um, you know, as, as new seasons of the show come out, as Kelly and friends uh, gets up and running, we'd love anything we can do to, to highlight the shows and the work here. We would absolutely love love to do and that'd be awesome uh, yeah would love to do it and uh you know listeners appreciate you sticking with us all this time if you haven't already uh you know go and uh, check out the show check out the title twins books we'll put links to all of that stuff um we'll put links to elephant season uh all in the show notes uh jordan's social media so that you can follow her keep up with that uh, we'll all be down there and, uh, you know, at the very least, you know, uh, follow, subscribe, all that kind of, all that stuff that helps out the podcast, helps out the shows, reviews, help, you know, everything across media. It's all about reviews and like and share. Uh, then, you know, if you have uh, a couple extra coins laying around and you want to support Kelly and friends or you want to pay it forward over at Tuttle Twins, we would definitely encourage you to do that as well. Of course, we'll take your support around here too at any given time. So if you haven't already, stop by the website, solid7podcast.com, solid7podcast.com. Always links to the latest episodes like the one you just enjoyed here and tons of ways to support us and engage with the podcast on there as well. And uh, with that, Jordan, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, listeners. We love you and we're out. The Solid 7 Podcast is fueled by Jocko Go. Engineered for anyone who wants to get after it in life, pre-meeting, pre-testing, pre-negotiation, or pre-mission. If you're looking for an extra cognitive or physical edge, Jocko Go is your force multiplier. With 95 milligrams of caffeine and zero sugar, the keto-friendly Jocko Go will give you a physical and cognitive boost without the crash that you experience with average energy drinks. Visit JockoFuel.com today. And you can use our promo code SOLID7, that's S-O-L-I-D-7, to get 10% off your order, get on the path, and get after it. Oh, and because lawyers exist, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.